What is an MP3, though? It's the, it's the music that I put on a CD. It's a CD? It's on a CD, right. Okay, but I can't put it in a, it, it, like the thing that Nathan sent me? Uh, it depends, it depends if that, if that machine put, some do. There are now machines, like, for 20 some odd dollars, like a boombox, that play well, MP3. It's, it's, but it's just, well, there, it, there are two different kinds of CD players. Oh. MP3 is like, well, like LP, long playing, that you can put 50 hours on one CD. And then you have the regular CD you can do Five, for one hour. Better CD? Uh-huh. Now, I don't understand why it couldn't play it then. Well, the CDs that you buy in the store are one type of file. Yeah. They, they are, are different. They're set up differently on different CDs. All of them are on CDs, but the contents are different. So the contents that I burn and send to you have what they call MP3 files. Every song or every show is, is, a, MP3? Separate, is a separate item. And they're not every... CD player can play this type of CD. Some of them can, and some of them can't. So, so all the ones you sent to me are MP3s? Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yes. But, you know, so... I needed, yeah. I needed a, a CD tape player because, well, Nathan, anyway. Yeah. Oh, don't worry. Yeah. I have it, it because of Nathan, and then he replaced it at Christmas, and, and see, I need a tape player because, uh, you know, like all the stuff you sent me, Walden... Yep. And, and I mean, uh, and, and all the, the tapes I've transcribed for uh, uh, recreation, uh, you know, the, the right. scripts. Uh, I love doing scripts, Patricia. God, I love it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's uh, wow, and it takes a long time, and it's very fulfilling to me to create these scripts for people to, to recreate uh, uh, shows. And right. I, I just love that. But all those are on tape. And uh, when I went into, uh, after... I didn't have my, after I lost my CD tape player, I went to a store and I said, I need, a, I went to Walmart and I said, where's your CD tape players? And he was a real smart aleck young guy. He goes, what? I said, CD tape players. He said, well, he said they don't make those anymore. I said, sure they do. He, I said, look, where, where's the CD player? He goes, they're over there. Everything we got's over there. He's real rude. And uh, I went over there and, there was nothing. It was just, they looked real stupid and weird and bigger and ugly, and all they were were CD players. And so I thought, well, I can't play my tapes. And all I've got uh, to play tapes on, Patricia, is a, is a dictaphone machine uh -huh. that I used uh, to transcribe those into scripts. Yeah. Right. Um, go, you will be able go, to pick up a very inexpensive one on sale at Radio Shack. Go to Fry's. Fry's carries them too now, Doina. I don't know whether they're... They used to be out here. I, I didn't think they were even... I thought they were going out of business. Nope. No, Fry's are, fries are still around. Yeah, they... they write that down. It's F-R-Y apostrophe S. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they, they carry them. And that gummit... They carry them. That has been weird. Yeah. When you get... It's okay. F-R-Y's. Right. Okay. Uh, and, and who else? Radio, oh, Radio Shack. Radio Shack, yeah. Mm -hmm. Awful, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't there stuff crummy, uh, Walden? Or can we say that? Well, I, 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 I still buy from Radio Shack, but I, been, I, I still do. Yeah. Okay, well. Yeah. But my, my first, my first suggestion, go to Fry's. <laughs> Walmart wouldn't have them? No. Okay, so, no. so I asked for MP3 player. Uh-huh. And it looks like a boombox? Yes. And you said I can get it for $20? Well, it's like 
Best Buys, I think, carries them. But you said $20? About $27 for some of these boombox MP3s. Uh, like the ones I looked at at Radio Shack. I mean, not Radio Shack, Walmart. And I wasn't going to buy them, but I was looking for, you know, tape player. But I looked at those things. They used to be real cheap to go buy a CD tape player. Yeah. What boombox, you want to do when you go into Fry's, tell them like you want to play MP3s. That's all you have to tell them. I want to play MP3s on a CD. And they will They'll show you to the to the correct piece of equipment. I'm still looking for, you know, I used to, I used to, I play the keyboard a little bit. I had a piano keyboard. It's going out. It's messed. There's two keys now that don't work. And but I used to, I had the uh, 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 what do you call it? Glenn Miller CD. In the mood, uh huh? Yeah, in the mood, boy. And I, I used to play. I could play those. I enjoyed it so much. Put on a CD and sit down with my keyboard. And, I learned nearly all of those. Sure. Well, be able to pick up a piece of equipment that will play both. It will play your CDs, like with the Glenn Miller, and it will also play the radio shows on MP3 files. But the only thing you have to tell them when you go in is, I have CDs with MP3s. And they'll do it. And they'll tell you which piece of equipment you need to also play regular CDs. Yes. It'll play regular CDs as well. Yes. I, I wish I could find one that played tapes, too. Well, that's why, that's why I'm telling you go to Fry's. They, they, oh, you they, mean I can, okay. That's what I'm saying, go to Fry's, because they do. Walmart said, they just looked at me and said, they don't make tape players anymore. That's, that's why you have to go to an electronic store. They, but they do. They might not stock them, but yes, they do. Yeah. So when you get back in business and you can play the CDs, you let Walden know which radio shows you would like me to put together for you, and I will be happy to do it. I'd like some lights out and... Well, you, you make out a, a shopping list. When you can play the CDs, make out a shopping list, and Walden will let well, me know what you... it would be long. I mean, you know, but, I mean, you just want to write down things I like, but uh, I, I appreciate that so much, Patricia. And I just love you and Walden so much. Y'all mean a lot to me. Well, we're uh, just so happy. I mean, it's, it's like I know you personally. I wish I did. Sweet, I, thank you. I wish uh, some of y'all lived close by and stuff, so... We would go out to dinner and things like that. <laughs> we, we're just going to have to be content with saying hi to each other on the phone and on the air. I know. I'm sorry. I can't move. <laughs> if I could move, I would. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, Wallen, are you coming to town this year? Don't know. I don't know. Is it, uh, with Kim's schedule and with my schedule, I oh. I have no idea at the moment. I thought maybe you are coming this summer. There was, there was a possibility, but I, I got so tied up with a, a business deal. Yeah. That uh, I I it and I thought the business deal was gonna take me to Dallas. I'm not too, I'm not sure it's yet. Yeah. So. Is that the deal that you called and thanked me and said you know it was mm -hmm. the idea I had? That's the one I've been working on. <laughs> that makes me feel so good that you got an idea from something. I said that's great. You bet. That's good. Well, Delena, thank you a whole bunch for calling. It's really good to hear from you again. We haven't heard from you for a while. Yeah. Y'all take care. All right. Okay. You, too. you have a great night. Hey, you too. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. Well, now, do you see mention of one of the famous openings? I think we should play that. Here we go, everybody. This is the show that they talked about. Here's the famous opening of Old Time Radio. From New York. Pillsbury's best enriched flour brings you Grand Central Station. All 
as a bullet seeks its target, shining rails in every part of our great country are aimed at Grand Central Station, part of the nation's greatest city. Drawn by the magnetic force of the fantastic metropolis, day and night great trains rush on the Hudson River, sweep down its eastern bank for 140 miles, flash briefly with the long red row of tenement houses south of 125th Street, dive with a roar into the one half mile tunnel which burrows beneath the glitter and swank of Park Avenue, and then... Central Station, crossroads of a million private lives, gigantic stage at which are played a thousand dramas daily. Now, for the sixth consecutive year, Pillsbury Mills of Minneapolis presents with pride Grand Central Station's traditional Christmas play, a drama you will long remember. This is Galen Drake, and before we get into our Christmas story, I want to say just a word about the three top prize-winning recipes in Pillsbury's Grand National Recipe and Baking Contest. The grand prize was awarded for a recipe for Pillsbury's $50,000 no-need water-rising twists. The second prize of $10,000 was for Starlight Mint Surprise. And there's a little bit of Grand Central Station, one of the uh, great openings of Old Time Radio. Grand Central Station. That's right. Lean into your microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Hello there. There's Walden, finally. <laughs> <laughs> We lose you. You know, you start to laugh and you kind of drift off and we don't know if you've fallen down. Well, because I walk away and I can't control myself and I said I just take my body away from the uh, microphone. But we don't know if you have fallen down and you are seizing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. 714 Happy morning, everybody. Hope you're all doing, all doing well out there. Did we have any radio mascots? In advertising. You must have. Cute little spokespeople and imaginary characters. I should go through my list, and I don't have it in front of me. I should go through my list of vintage ads, mm -hmm. see if any of them hop out. I can't think of any. Mr. Squirrel says you ought to buy this kind of cereal because it's full of nuts. That kind of stuff. I can't think of anything like that. Okay. All right. Well, we were talking about Vincent Price. We're going to talk about Vincent Price, and then we have to get to Walden's stump question. But before we do that, I have two things. First, I have a question from Keiko. Keiko is one of the folks in the chat room, and he's been trying to stump you with some esoteric goodies along the way. So I shaped this question so it will make sense, and he wants to know, because you seem to like gangbusters, if you know what a Chicago typewriter is. Well, <clears throat> uh... It's a keyboard that doesn't have 88 keys. It has 87 <laughs> keys. All right. <laughs> no. Now, we're talking gangbusters, and we're talking what is referred to as a Chicago typewriter. Probably a machine gun. That is exactly right. 
It is a Thompson submachine gun, sometimes known as a Tommy gun, and in the colloquial sense, is also called a Chicago typewriter. I'm assuming because Al Capone. Al Capone. Now I'll give you an interesting. Chicago. I'll give you an interesting quiz on a Tommy machine gun. I saw one in action at the FBI building when I took the tour back in Washington D.C. back in 1981. Can you guess how many bullets? It can shoot in one minute. Oh, in one minute? Yeah. Oh, in a minute. Holy cats. 180. More. How many? 600 a minute. That's 10 per second. Right. That's an awful lot of bullets. That's an awful lot of bullets. That is one hot muscle. <laughs> wow. Yeah. But okay. Six hundred a minute. Well, I wow. Be nice to your neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can see why they outlaw that. They don't want the bad guy to have those things. Yeah, just never know. Yeah. Okay, so I have to go back and tell Keiko that you knew what a Chicago typewriter is. Uh oh. Uh oh. He's gonna work on something Muffin bigger and better. Try to come up with another one. Yeah. I mean, this is as close to old time radio as as. <laughs> <laughs> what what color was um, the dog down the street? I don't know. Anyhow, we still need to hear. We haven't heard from Ray in Chicago for a while. Mm -hmm. We're doing this kind of late. Um, I, I should put out my hoots earlier. Well, considering the phone was ringing right off the bat, I, we didn't have time to do out the hoots early. We didn't have time. And now we have heard from Charlie in Seattle, so I could cross him off my list. Hooray for Charlie! Good. I'm so glad he called. We were really getting concerned about him. So let's talk about Vincent Price for a little bit. All righty. And maybe next week, um, we, we, we'll see how it goes next week. Yeah. Vincent Price. He was born in 1911, May 27, 1911, and he... From Wisconsin, right? In... probably. <laughs> <laughs> if you say it was Wisconsin, by golly, it was Wisconsin. Is it Wisconsin? I think so. He and Orson Welles, I think, were both from Wisconsin. Well, that's what I depend on you for. I oh, okay. come up with things like um, he was in Johnny Dollar. I'm so glad I sent that show to you. Let's see, Vincent Price. <laughs> um, let's see, he was born in St. Louis, Missouri. Oh, okay. Well, that's, pretty that's from IMDB, anyway. Well, that's pretty cool, too, Wisconsin. <laughs> I'm the doofus when it comes to geography, not you. <laughs> He was born in St. Louis, Missouri, oh. which is kind of interesting because he had this very cultured, sophisticated voice. Yeah. It was it, just positive, came out of London theater. Oh, yeah. I, I would have thought definitely he would have a little bit of Europeanness uh -huh. to it. Yes, yes. Uh -huh. But he was educated at Yale in art history so and he was fine no, art. So he was no doofus. He was no doofus. <laughs> this is very true. So... He lived um, 82 years. He died of lung cancer. Now, he was a smoker, wasn't he? I think so. His daughter wrote a wonderful book. I think I would love to track his daughter down and get her on the show. This is good. Now, his, his, he has a son and a daughter, mm -hmm. and the daughter was born in 1960. So she is quite young. Yeah, a young puppy. 
just a, a, or who, who suggested a kitten? I don't think kitten. No, we won't do kitten. Well, let's see. Well, uh, well somebody, uh, a girl. But, you know, let's see. we got to come up with a better coin. That should be our, that should be our theme. What's a the better way to talk to about a young female pup? A young lady. A young lady. I'll have to I'll have to ponder that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, pup sounds good for a guy. I don't know. I, I don't. I think it would be disrespectful to call somebody like Norman Corwin a pup. <laughs> I don't think so. We'll have to work on this. Okay. But anyway, before I even go to the rest of the stuff, I picked Vincent Price because I thought I should be talking about something related to old time radio a little bit more frequently than I do, and I very selfishly picked Vincent Price because he is one of my very favorite actors and he did he crossed everything he was in radio he was in television he was in movies he was it was just everywhere everything that he did Who hello there you're on to? the air hey Walden hey Patricia you're awake Pablo Bob, how are you? What it was is I was I was almost sound asleep in bed, and I was listening, and, and Patricia said I was really surprised that he was from St. Louis because he sounds sophisticated. <laughs> what? I didn't say it that way. That's what you said. You said, you know, you would never get Well, What you were obviously implying was he certainly doesn't sound like he's from St. Louis. Didn't even sound like he was from America. I said because he had this sophisticated voice that you would be sure came out of London theater. <laughs> Didn't I say that? Yes. I, no, I back I, you that one hundred. But I think Bob is. I know what I heard. I think Bob is sticking out sophisticated voices that came out of London theater, Bob. I don't care how you cut it. <laughs> Take it. Oh, I think yeah. Bob is sticking up for the Missouri State over there. I think he's just being fussy. That's true. We woke him up. But, he, but you know, but he, Bob, you did wake me up. I've you, been you, know, up. We, uh, you know, Bob doesn't really count. He's not really true a Missourian. Oh, that's. He doesn't know where he's from. That's true. He's no, from everywhere. His life in a suitcase. He's from everywhere. I've been everywhere. Yeah. I, and I, how many times have I said that to you, Bob? Danny <laughs> Cash sings, "I've been everywhere," and you live it. Well, no, I, I not anymore. It's been a long. Well, not anymore. It would be easier for Bob to list the places he hasn't been. <laughs> You've been everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's a good trivia question. What's the biggest city you haven't been to? <laughs> <laughs> you haven't been to. This is good. The biggest city I what What's the biggest city in the world? Uh, Mexico City? I don't know. I don't know. But whatever the biggest city you have not been to. I've never been to Mexico City. And I think that's the largest city in the world. A lot of people there. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's like 20 million mm -hmm. for some ridiculous amount. Yeah, yeah them, in to <laughs> <laughs> them in Tokyo. Speaking of offending people tonight. <laughs> um, all right, let's see. Largest city in the world. All right, you yeah. keep talking. Yeah, I, I think it is. I mean, um, you know, there, I suppose there's other cities that, that compete for a while. I, How about in the United States? What's the largest city you've never been to? In the United States? Mm -hmm. Oh, my. I've been to all the big ones, Walden. Right, that's what I mean. So are we talking about Oshkosh, Wisconsin or something? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I've been to Oshkosh, though. <laughs>
<laughs> You've never been to St. Louis, Missouri, though, right? Been, been here. You've been there, okay. Yeah, that's yeah. where I live, man. Uh, yeah, no, I, I guess I've been to most of the big cities in the United States, and a lot of the small ones, too. I've been in all the states. Well, actually, I take it back. I haven't been to Honolulu. Oh. I've never been to Hawaii. See? You need to go see Ron. And see, on all my frequent flyer miles, we sent my parents to Hawaii, and we sent uh, some other relatives to Hawaii, but uh, Carol and I never got over there ourselves. So. Gee whiz, Walden and I have, trying, have been trying to um, figure out a way to get tickets to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can use our free, we'll, we'll be happy to use your frequent flyer miles, Bob. One city is Tokyo. You don't have them anymore, <laughs> I just don't travel anymore. I mean, it's been a long time since I've done any kind of well, But you've got a responsibility, a moral and social responsibility to keep us happy. Yeah. Well, I'll have to come up with something. I don't know. It's they're hard to manufacture these frequent fire miles. <laughs> they're hard to find Not nowadays. Once that'll be cashed in. Your largest city is Tokyo. Hmm. Are you sure? Well, I don't know. That's what Wiki says. Let me find number two is in the People's Republic of China, and it's a name I cannot pronounce. Huanzhou. Does that sound right? That's the largest city in China. Uh, that's what it says. Oh my! I thought I would have thought that uh, either Shanghai or Beijing was the uh, largest city in China. I had no idea. Well, they got, well, who knows? You know, they got a lot of people, and they got to put them somewhere over there. Yeah, and China's pretty packed tight. Okay, um, San Paulo, Brazil is. Oh, I'm, yeah, Seoul, Korea is number three. You want Mexico now, City is number is six. This, is this? Um, you know, I know when I've gone into some of those sites to look this up, there, some of them has it by city and some some of them has it by uh, area. In other words, by geographic area. Well, I'm in other going words, to like St. Louis only has, yeah, but I, I guess what I'm saying is St. Louis only has a population of like 300,000 or something, but the St. Louis, greater St. Louis area is about 2 million. Well, then we have to ask Walden to qualify this. Are you looking for the largest city by population or the largest city That's right, by the area? I would say anything that Bob wants to define it to be. <laughs> I'm easy to live with. All right. Well, I don't know. Anyway, no, I, I have not traveled much outside the United States. So what do you guys do? Let's get off this subject. <laughs> I've been everywhere, man. How are you? We're talking about Vincent Price tonight. What would you like to contribute? Um, do, uh, I remember when I was a kid in the, in the 50s, <clears throat> do you remember American International Pictures? No. They were, they were a really schlock outfit, but they <laughs> all of these all of these really cheap teenage horror movies, which, you know, when you say a horror movie in 1958, it was a lot different than what you think of today. But they did things like, um, I was a teenage werewolf, and I was a teenage Frankenstein. Okay, okay. And, and then what they ended up getting into was a bunch of the Edgar Allan Poe films. And, uh, you know, stories that mm-hmm. all they did was take the name of the Poe poem or the short story and then just run with it and, and make up. And Vincent Price started a lot of those. I saw him on television in The Pit and the Pendulum? Yeah, that's a good example. Uh-huh. Yeah, The Pit and the Pendulum. And I remember going to a lot of those when I was a kid, because 
All I remember from that movie is that he had somebody tied to a table, and he had this enormous pendulum, which, of course, was the principle of, of the pit and the pendulum with yeah, right. Alan Poe, that the pendulum was a, a blade, and it was going tick-tock, tick-tock, and in, each, in, in tiny increments, it would drop a little bit lower and a little bit lower until it was supposed to get to the body and slice the body in half. That's all I remember was him <laughs> over this poor girl who was strapped to a table with the pendulum starting to swing overhead. He actually did a movie. Oh, I, I'd have to look it up, but it was—it had to be in the late '50s. It was called The Tingler. The Tingler. Ooh. Oh, I like that. Hey, uh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, we what won't go it? there. But but it was about a. Um, oh, as I recall, it was like some kind of a. A worm or a snake that that uh, could get inside you, and 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 the tingle was like a sting. Ooh. They actually went in to theaters, at least in Southern California, when I was a kid, and they actually wired some seats, and you had no idea which seat. And that was the big advertising campaign about you will actually feel this thing. Oh, I'm getting the shivers just thinking about it. Well, I'm sure it was, It was well, first of all, the film was, was uh, typical of that genre back then. I mean, uh -huh. if you, you could watch it today on television with your kids and you wouldn't be scared, you know. Although he did a few. I remember he did one that they recently remade or in the last 10 years, but it was called House on Haunted Hill. And now, again, if you went and watched it on television... It would, you know, it's just so it's mild. Fine. But it's, yeah. man, when you were a kid, you were scared to death. Oh, man, huh? this was scary stuff. It was almost like an Agatha Christie story, where, like Ten Little Indians, where people kept dying off in this house, you know. Huh? But, uh, yeah, that's I, I, what I remember about Vincent Price. I remember him being on TV shows like Johnny Carson and that, you know, from time to time and being interviewed. I found a clip on YouTube today. He was with Kermit the Frog on the Muppets, and they were talking about turning into a vampire, which puzzled me because I didn't think Vincent Price did vampire stuff. Did he ever? Was he ever a vampire? I don't know. I don't think so. It, I mean, Bella Lugosi. Maybe, but, uh, but they, yeah. he did it, it. It was a cute routine, and it was only maybe two or three minutes long, and. Kermit asked him, how, how do you turn into a vampire? And they flashed in on him, and he smiled, and he had two vampire teeth pop out. Oh. And uh, they talked a little bit, and they had a good time. It was really a good sport with this frog. And Kermit turned into a vampire, and he opened his mouth, and he had these two vampire teeth, and he went and attacked Vincent Price by the throat. And it was just such a delightful little routine that... Yeah was a cross appeal. Obviously, the kids loved Kermit and would get a, a kick out of Kermit suddenly growing teeth. Kermit didn't have any teeth. And for the adults, Vincent Price being just so cool. Vincent Price in this very suave voice that he had. And I just thought it was absolutely delightful. So that's up on YouTube if you want to take a peek at it, anybody. It's, uh, it's a fun deal. Did you, when you were a kid, did you have um, theaters that had Saturday matinees just for the kids? Bob, I never went to a movie. I don't never know. Never did. Yeah, you didn't. Yeah. I remember the uh, the Crest Theater in Long Beach used to have every Saturday they would have what they called a kitty show. Uh -huh. And it was always at noon, 
And Mr. Francis, Harry Francis, was the manager of the theater. And uh, he, he went on and managed the Grauman's Chinese Theater. Uh-huh. Well, it's funny, one time when we were adults, Carol and I were up in Hollywood for something, and we saw a big crowd in front of the Chinese Theater, and they were it was um, somebody putting footprints in. So we, we parked and, and went over and watched it, and there was Mr. Francis standing there. And I went up and said something to him, and, you know, he claimed he remembered me. Of course, he couldn't. There's no way he would have remembered me. But, you know, he was just that nice of a man. But anyway, they, they used to show, uh, you know, a movie, and then they would show a, one of the old-time serials, like Crazy Races, like like the Cliffhangers. Uh-huh. But they, they had one where they had the key, all, all the Keystone Cop-type characters, and they'd be in a race. And you'd actually get a ticket when you went in the theater, and you got one through ten, and there was ten people in the race. And if your guy won the race... Then you got to go up on stage and get a prize. Then they had a birthday cake every week. Oh my and they would end up showing ten cartoons. And the last one he would show upside down and backwards. And the kids just loved it. You know, just That's an arrangement. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. But I can remember him standing on stage like when the birthday cake came and stuff. And he would say, he'd say, what do you kids want to see next week? And we'd all go, monsters, monsters, we want monsters, you know? And he goes, oh, he says, every time I show monsters, your mother's called me up, you know? Oh, adorable. This was a a little, you know, it was a a town. I mean, it wasn't a a great big cinema. It It was like a little movie house. Yeah. What's that? What, the Crest Theater? No, actually, it was, um, it was a, uh, pretty large theater and it was owned by the west coast what would later become man theater chain it was fox west coast theaters that's why in fact it was the same company that owned the chinese theater that's why he ended up being transferred up there but um uh, personal routine every week yeah every week yeah yeah you know you know theater going to a movie back then uh first of all when you went in well, there was a lot of differences. Uh, they used to always have double features, and and when you often hear people talk about B films, uh-huh. th- that's that was the second movie on the double feature, and they would they would design films just to play second. And uh, to me, the idea of going to a double feature now is just appalling. To sit there for four and a half hours would be horrible. <laughs> We're also grown up now too. <laughs> Well, yeah, but I mean, you know, even even the uh, in the evening, the adults had double features. I remember there was a theater in Long Beach, or two actually, that were kind of sleazy, but they used to show, show triple features. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. You're right. I can't imagine sitting that long. I can't sit through a single movie. But I think those those theaters were a lot of, but anyway, the, the, the main theaters, they would do that. Then later, they kind of went into showing the double feature would be, uh, another feature that was a little older, mm-hmm. but they but they used to be, and, and a lot of the the B features starred people like John Agar and uh, uh, Richard Denning, and uh, a lot of people were. A lot of times you'll read that description. Oh, he was a famous B movie star, and they were literally uh, these movies were ground out, and sometimes they were really good, but a lot of times you know they they weren't much, but you. I don't know. They just had people trying to do that. The other thing they used to do that was strange is they'd say, continuous showing. And so they would say, 
you know, you could come in any time and you won't miss anything because the movie just plays over again. Well, I used to think, what? Who wants to come in in the middle of the movie? Oh, that's okay, because you can see, you can sit there after the movie's over and you can see the. <laughs> Hide your eyes and plug your ears. <laughs> yeah. So you don't hear the ending before you hear the beginning. But that's why it was because of that that Alfred Hitchcock came out when the movie Psycho came out and said no one is going to be allowed in the theater after the first 10 minutes of the show. And that was one of the reasons why. It's because people used to go in any time. They didn't check the times. What time uh-huh. started. I don't know. They just had people trained that way. But I was going to say, I, I, I think back to the Crest Theater. We, when we were kids, we all wanted to be scared when we went to the movies. And it's really sad because I can remember there were certain creature features that you'd laugh at now, but I can remember my parents saying, "Well, I don't know if we want you to see this, Robert. You know, this this doesn't you know this doesn't instill the kind of thing that we want you to see as a young person." And you know that was great; they were being responsible parents. But I look at what the kids are scared by today, and it's yes. what? Yes. Well, everybody's been desensitized. It, a firecracker went off in an old movie, and it was a big deal. And now you can blow up half a city block, and it's ho-hum. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And it's funny because Carol and I will go to a movie two or three times a month. We enjoy seeing a good movie. And um, when you show the, when they show the previews at the beginning, you just sit there and you go, oh, man, it's nothing but special effects and loud noises and and it's just, yeah, just bombarding you, you know, mm-hmm. bombarding you. And uh, like this movie that just made such a big splash this last week, Thor, we kept seeing the preview to that, and it was like, God, I, there's no way I'd go see that thing. Here, you know, opening week, it does $70 million in sales, you know, in one weekend. It's just unbelievable. But that's what kids want. Well, actually, you know what, part of it, part of it you know, is to, to get the international market. You know, dialogue-driven, story-driven is not where it's at when you're trying to show special effects and things yeah. to show throughout the world. Because that's where they got to get their money at. Yeah. And so it changed the movie games tremendously just because they got to recoup the cost and they're using the global market to do it. And in all fairness, I guess if I was trying to invest in movies, you know, I, I'd say, well, what what's going to make money? If I'm going to right. You're in the dynamite business. Turn on investment, yeah. You have to, but it's have really... to go in, in, never mind movies, because they're very iffy. Every movie uses dynamite, so go into the dynamite business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Except now all the dynamite's computer-generated. Yeah, well. Yeah. They don't blow up buildings for real? Do you get any more? No, I don't think so. <laughs> oh, I'm so disappointed. I mean, all of <laughs> the stuff I see on television with flames and, and people flying all over the place is not... <laughs> It's you know, I, I remember when I was living in New York City, I lived in Brooklyn Heights, and one night we were we were sitting in a, we were having a, a like a classroom meeting, and we heard this, what sounded like gunshots outside, you know, it's like, what in the world? And so a bunch of us, after the class was over, a bunch of us got up and walked out, and uh, there up the street, just, just about a block over, they were filming uh, Charles Bronson in what the film that came to be known as the Veloci Papers, and they actually had this old car going down the street shooting a machine. You guys were talking about Tommy guns. Uh-huh. A Tommy gun, you know. It was oh. very interesting to watch, you know. But uh, they had uh, all of the uh, 
cars moved off the street and they had replaced them with old cars. And of course, that neighborhood in New York, in New York looks like. I mean, that could pass for the turn of the century with very little, you know, change. But uh-huh. all townhomes. But anyway, it was funny. We watched Carl Bronson carry this body up to a door, <laughs> knock on the door. Hey. Yeah. Well, anyway. So anyway, I know my my son, my middle son, Jeremy, called us at about three o'clock this afternoon, and he was in an automobile accident. Fortunately, oh, nobody okay? was hurt, but he was just going to work, and he he manages a restaurant. And so he said, I'm not going to have any way to get home tonight. So I said, okay, I'll come get you. What time? 3.30. <laughs> oh, now I know. So now that's why I'm still up. Oh, so we did a public service here by saying something that made you perk up and wake up. You did, yeah. Carol fell asleep on the sofa, and I thought, well, I, I can't go to sleep because I'll turn on Patricia and Walden. And I have been highly entertained, thank you. <laughs> we do a public service. Even if you thought I insulted you, which I really did. Well, that, that was what—that's what made me call, actually. Well, I—I so, I really. Uh, so, what kind of food? Uh, uh, when you go home and pick up your son, what kind of food are you going to bring home to to, re, to repay your your staying up all all hours? I don't think there'll be any food because they, they, you know, this is a uh, typical uh, pub type. Uh, restaurant uh-huh. and I think they quit probably quit serving food at eleven or so. Uh, the bar stays open till one or one thirty but then clean up the weekends he's pretty much in charge and so he has to close the place up and he said usually it's gonna be about three thirty on a particularly Saturday night. He said Sunday night's not so bad. Yeah. But Saturday night it's uh yeah, he says he doesn't get out of there till like three thirty. Boy, what kind of a place isn't going to serve a hamburger to a poor guy who's slipping out in the middle of the night? Yeah. Well, a place that, yeah, I'll have to drive through the McDonald's. <laughs> or an In-N-Out Burger. I, I, I sent Bill uh, Bragg an email the other day, and Didn't I said, tell? I noticed they're opening an In-N-Out Burger in Richardson. Yeah, they're, go, they're opening up two, and they're going to go up to five by the end of the year in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Yeah, actually, it wasn't Richardson. It was the next town over. I can't think of it. Was, maybe it was Plano. But Plano, probably. It was one of those towns right there in the, in the Richardson area, and I thought... Oh, my goodness. He gets an In-N-Out burger. That ain't fair. I know. Well, I guess they're showing these ads in Texas of people crying. They can't believe that they get to have an In-N-Out burger. And I never heard of one until, Bob, were you on the phone with Bill last week? Not this past week, but the week before talking about this? I think we were talking about it in the chat room. Oh, maybe that was it. It's strictly a West Coast phenomenon. Yeah, it's funny how things go, though, when other people can't get it. I can remember when uh, uh, when I was living in New York, I would go home every year for vacation, mm-hmm. and everybody in New York would say, bring me Coors, bring me some Coors, because you could only buy Coors beer mm-hmm. west of the Rockies. Or west oh, I did not know that. Yeah, well, well, actually, you could only buy it west of uh, Kansas. You couldn't even buy it in St. Louis. I, I think Kansas was the first state, and then I don't know exactly what the line was. But everybody wanted Coors beer. Well, you know, once Coors went nationwide, then suddenly nobody cared about it. Sure. And so, like, when I went to New Jersey the first time, Kitty made sure she took me to a White Castle. You know, that's sort of the East Coast, the small little hamburgers. And, I mean, you you didn't see that on the West Coast. That was not a West Coast thing. We have White Castle. Yeah, I know. I I remember in Brooklyn. uh, Yeah. We have White Castles in St. Louis. And for uh, those of you who don't know, that's, that is steam. That is a steam hamburger. And now you can buy them in grocery stores, frozen, and they're very yeah. good. 
They're about like the them? size of a. Um, I can't. Uh, steamed hamburgers. Yes, they're steamed. Uh huh. Ew. They're not. They're they're not much bigger than like a. Uh, they're very small. Dollar, you know. Yeah. And, it, and, and they're really small. It's now, legendary. And my uh, my favorite and such people who grew up in New York and New Jersey, um, for example, uh, for people may or may not know the Sinatra family are from Hoboken, New Jersey. And so when Nancy Sinatra Sr. went and visit Kitty, that uh, she wanted to go to White Castle. So what Kitty did, she got the limousine out, and she got her finest uh, china, drove down to a White Castle, which is strictly a fast food, and put candles and the napkins out. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're very, they're very strange places too because they, uh, they're, they're all white. Mm -hmm. Everything inside is white, and all of the, 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 the walls and everything are stainless steel, or not stainless steel, but like a, like an appliance white. Uh, it's steel finish on the walls, and then the, the, the floors are all white uh, tile, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, they're, they're strange restaurants. There was a guy I worked with one time, somebody was talking about White Castle, he says, he says you know, I, I think I like him, he says, but I've never had one sober. <laughs> I guess I guess on Saturday nights it was a famous place to, you know, everybody that's going on their way yeah. home is well, driving through the White Castle. In the '30s, the big band loved it because it was the only place they, that they could get breakfast. So after they did all big big band thing all night and hitting the road, for them a lot of the big bands oh. they would pull over and go in the White Castle to have breakfast before they had to go. They're all 24 hours. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, if I'm not mistaken, I think that their headquarters is in Columbus, Ohio. Wow. But I know that they have a tremendous presence on the East Coast. Yeah. Yeah, they have them here. Something else, uh, have you ever heard of Steak and Shake? No. Yeah, Steak and Shake is big in the Midwest, mm -hmm. and they're... We have they're, Steak and Shake here. What's that? We have Steak and Shake here. Do you? Am I in the big Florida? time? I didn't know that. I didn't know they had Steak and Shake in Florida. Yeah, I think so. So what is it, just strictly steak, and uh, or what what kind of... Well, they call them steak burgers. I, they, they use a pretty high-quality meat, but mm -hmm. it's a very limited menu, kind of like In-N-Out, although mm -hmm. now they've added to it over the years. Mm -hmm. But basically, for a long time, all they had was hamburgers, and then they had uh, they had very, very thin-cut French fries. Mm -hmm. And but, but people get fanatical about them, like, you know, if, if, if you... Uh, have not been in an area where there's a steak and shake and you see one, you definitely want to go there and eat. But once they're around you all the time, you, you, you don't go so much anymore. But they're inexpensive and they're they're good. They do a lot of heavy advertising on TV and whatnot, too. Yeah, they're, they're pretty good. Yeah, we have them here. Yeah, steak and shake, yeah. Yeah, I didn't, right. that. I didn't know they had them. I'm right. Yeah. But In-N-Out used to be that you, you had to drive through. There was no, now I guess you can go in and sit down in some of them, huh? Yeah, well, the one, they just opened one brand new here, and it's a drive through Traditionally, the only one I knew that was a sit-down was sit-down outside, get, going out to San Bernardino into the mountains. Oh. That was the only one I knew of that even had a sit-down, but I was outside kind of stuff. You know, but, uh... Well, I better let you guys go. I imagine there's people just standing in line trying to get in to call you. It's been busy all night. Hey, yeah. Oh, yeah, heck yeah. It's been busy. At lots of family with, the, with phones tonight. So what time are you going to hit the road? Are you going to do at 3 o'clock? I'm going to wait till he calls, but he, Carol's, he's going to call Carol's phone. So when he, he said he'd call about 20 minutes. He, he's not very far away. Okay. Uh, that's about 10 miles. Right. But we're just going to bring him back here because he lives another... 10 or 15 miles on the other side. Oh, gee. 
you know, and I said, well, well, I said, yeah, you can, we'll pick you up, but we're bringing you back to our house. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd have, you know, 80 miles to drive tonight. Mm -hmm. I, I ain't doing that, you know. I'm glad he's okay. My gosh, what a yeah, and scary thing. He really felt bad because I guess it was basically his fault. It was raining here today. And he said, I just, I don't know, he said, my mind drifted. I looked up, and all of a sudden I saw it was a red light, and I slammed on my brakes, but the car skidded out into the intersection. Oh, boy. And, but fortunately, nobody was hurt, but his car is probably totaled, so. Wow. Well, I'm glad he's okay. Yeah. Oh, you don't like those kind of phone calls? Now. No, no. Oh. No. No. You like the ones that start out with, I'm okay, and then tell you the story. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Whenever I've uh, been been in a situation like that, the first thing if I call Carol, first thing I say is, uh, "Yeah, I'm totally okay, so don't worry about that." But here's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, bless my sister. She starts at the other end and works backwards. <laughs> What's that? I, I said, my sister, bless her heart. She starts at the other end and works backwards, and and I I, I am left here saying, "Are you okay?" <laughs> well, I I went to the store this afternoon. Are you okay? Right, when yeah. I got to the store, and I, it, it's um, it's painful. It's painful. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She calls you up in a panic, and then you. Don't oh, know I know. You know, I, I just, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> All right. I talked to Walden about it. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> All right. Well, listen. I'll let you guys go. It was a pleasure okay. talking to you. Thank you, Bob. I'm glad you called. Thanks, Bob. You have a great night, and I'm glad everything is cool. Yeah, I if I come back in at uh, 4 o'clock, you'll be off the air by then, won't you? No. The three here now. Yes, we'll be on for a couple more hours. All right, all right. Talk to you later. <laughs> uh, thanks. Bye. Good <laughs> Bye-bye. And bye say bye. nice things about St. Louis. No, no more of that. No more. Do they make good ribs? <laughs> Talk to you later. All right, bye. Bye-bye. I've never been to St. Louis. I've never been anywhere. So <laughs> it's it's safe to say Patricia has not been to St. Louis. She has not been to Chicago. She has not been... He, Patricia and Bob are equal because Bob been to everywhere, Patricia been to nowhere, and it equals out to zero when you come together. wearing blender, we look great. <laughs> Never got to sleep in his own bed, <laughs> and I've never been outside of her bed. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! Oh dear! Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. Thank for everybody calling and keeping us going. We love that. Seven one four five four five. 2071. We're talking about Vincent Price, and here's another clip, Patricia, to get it back into some mood. Is this a one minute or a two minute or a short short? Uh, well, how long do you want? Two minutes. All right, here we go. Hogan, my boy, welcome. I understand you had a most successful night. I sure did, Mr. Waters. I knew you would do it. I am seldom grateful to anybody, but I certainly have to hand it to you. Put it there, happy boy, put it there. <laughs> Burnbridge, it is I who should shake your hand. It was your idea, and it turned out great. Uh, it's true that my ideas are great. I cannot deny that. But there is also greatness in carrying greatness to its greatest. <laughs> uh, what's the score, happy boy? Well, in the first place, Beauregard Bottom has no weakness. His personal behavior is above reproach. There are no vices. There's no woman. You know why? He wants a woman who's both brilliant and beautiful. What are you telling me, boy? Why did I congratulate you? Why did you let me shake your hand? 
<laughs> Did he agree to stop? Well, his sister wants him to stop. Great, great. The old Hogan touch. You convinced him. I didn't have to. She's felt this way all along, however. She doesn't have the slightest influence on her brother. Now, then you've messed up my great idea, you knuckle knob. What are you so happy about? I fell in love with Gwen Bottomley. In love? How dare you fall in love on my time? This is dishonest, treacherous, and un-American. Get out of here. Wouldn't you like to know what Beauregard's up to? Don't get out of here. Stay here and sit down. Thanks. Oh, miss? Yes? Stand by with pills. I didn't say I needed my pills. Not now, you don't. You will in a minute. You know what Beauregard Bottomley's after? Your blood. My blood. About $40 million worth. Uh, He's after every nickel and dime, every oh, no. building and factory, every oh, no. bar and flake of soap, every stick of furniture, oh, everything that belongs to my lady soap oh, company. Please, oh, my. Oh. Mr. Waters, your pills. Oh, the blue ones, quick. No, the pink ones. No, the purple ones. No, the green or the lavender. Oh, don't stand there fumbling. I'll take them all. The frequency of a bat's shriek is somewhere around 20,000 cycles a second. That is absolutely correct. Hey! The molar of an Asiatic elephant has 24 plates. That is absolutely correct. Hooray! The upper Cretaceous deposits in the Elbrus mountain region of Persia consist of limestone, locally hippuritic, and fossiliferous miles, often bituminous. That is absolutely correct. When they told me he was in the plant, Mr. Waters, I didn't dare have him thrown out. You are quite right, my dear. There he is, over by that soap vat. Yes, leave this to me. I'll handle it. Mr. Bottomley? Oh, hello, Waters. Just looking through the plant, you know, against the time when I shall take over. Mr. Bottomley, I have the greatest idea since the invention of fire. I will clean the world physically, and you will bathe it mentally. It's as if Caesar had joined forces with Alexander the Great. Yes, they were 300 years apart. Never mind. I am prepared to offer you... You are prepared to offer me nothing. Frankly, Burnbridge, you are living on borrowed soap flakes. <laughs> you know something, Beauregard? I like you. Naturally. Hmm. I like you because you're an honest man, and because I like you, I must warn you. You are headed for trouble, Beauregard. You're about to link arms with misery. But aren't you going to ask me why? No. And then I will tell you why. <laughs> Beauregard, it's monstrous to have money. It's withering to be wealthy. It's disastrous to be loaded. Disastrous? Yes. Do you know what I have to show for my life's work? Tell me. Pills. Green pills, blue pills to be taken after yellow pills, purple pills to be taken before orange pills, nerves and ulcers, nerves that dangle, ulcers that shriek. Ah! And money doesn't buy a new stomach. Right. It cannot make you sleep at night. Right. Oh, you were so brilliant. Taxes, stocks, bonds. Payrolls, upkeep, bills. Oh, God, don't let it happen to you. I don't want to see it happen to you. How can I ever thank you, Burnbridge? Don't thank me, Beauregard. Just stay as you are. Walk out of here into the sunshine of a carefree world, wise in the knowledge that I have bestowed upon you. For it is my sincere conviction that the only way to be happy is to be poor. My dear Burnbridge, I see your point. 
I am about to make you the happiest man in the world. Get out of here, you thief. Get out this minute. Yes, and, and when I take over two weeks from now, let's do it quietly, shall we? No reception, please, and clean up the plant, won't you? Good day. I tried to be nice to you, but you wouldn't have it. Well, I'm warning you, Bottomley, this is war. This is war! <laughs> And there we go. Campaign procedure with Vincent Price, Ronald Coleman, Art Linkwriter. Great stuff. 714 is our number. Give us a call. We'd love to talk to you. In the old time, Patricia's talking about Vincent Price. I have my now. ears on. I've got a mouthful. I'm I'm listening, but I will mute you for two minutes. You bet, because okay. I, was, I was having, I was just thinking up my leftover hamburger, too. 15 seconds, that's all I well, need. Well, let's see here. Let's play a little music, Patricia. Here's, here's another song from Buddy Clark, everybody. of the great and late Buddy Clark, who was killed in a plane crash in 1950. Another one in a plane crash? And it's really sad. He was the only one killed on a plane. Uh, he was attending the Stanford football game, and there was a small plane, and a radio broadcaster was on it, and his wife and everything, and they had to make an emergency landing in L.A. They hit the street, and the plane... Cracked right down the middle, and Buddy Clark had hit the, the gutter, 
and killed him. He was the only one killed on the, in the crime. Oh, my gosh. You know, I think we ought to start a movement to keep our performers and singers, I mean, just anybody mm -hmm. in show business off small planes. There have been too many tragedies when you hear about. It's just awful. It's just tragic. Anyway, great, great voice, great singer of the 30s and 40s, who there at the last few years really was struck it big with tons of great hits. So, just, I enjoy Buddy Clark. 714-545-2071. Give us a call. Please tell me what we just listened to with Ronald Coleman and Vincent Price. And did you say Art Linkletter? Yes. We, it, was, it, was a, it was called Champagne for Caesar with a movie. And Screen Girl adapted it for called October 5th, 1950, a one-hour show. And it was a spoof on the game shows. Got it. Okay. And it's it, it one of the classic funny shows. So Art Linkletter played the game host. Ronald Coleman played the brilliant mind, and Vincent Price played the the sponsor. Okay, I didn't I didn't recognize it, so not setting it up. I I was kind of out in the cold. I know, but I I wanted us to take a quick break and still continue our little salute to Vincent Price. So that was so cool that you did that. I know it. We've been I, we've been chugging along, so we yeah, just had a. I've got some other stuff about Vincent Price. I knew he. He was an art aficionado and a collector, mm -hmm. so that was very cool. I, I was not surprised about anything that I came up with in that area. He started his career, in, in, he, I think, that with the Theater Guild or whatever in the 30s, everybody. I think Cap and Cornell. That's what was his big break. Uh, he got part of one of her shows in the 30s, and that really put him on the mark, uh, for those of you who may or may not know that. So there. So there. And stuff like that there. Uh-huh. All right. Well, he was the saint on the radio from 1947 to 1951. So he had um, four and a half years there. Good run. A very good run as Simon Templer, mm -hmm. the saint. Clearly, he was a lot more broad-spectrum than a single character on a radio show. And he was an art collector. He <clears throat> endowed a foundation at uh, the East Los Angeles Community College, and they have the Vincent Price Art Museum there. So the next time you're in the house here, Patricia, we need to go. We need to go there, yes. Yeah. So he was, he was an art collector, mm -hmm. and he played himself in a Yours Truly Johnny Dollar episode from February 2nd, 1958, and they named it the Price of Fame. <laughs> At that period in Yours Truly Johnny Dollar, they had several in within that time frame, several episodes with famous people in them. And in this particular one, he played himself as an art collector. And Johnny Dollar was responsible for going out and finding the artwork that had been stolen that he couldn't collect insurance on because it wasn't insured because he got it. How did you put it last week? How, how, it was so perfect. It was so perfect. He got those by unusual means. Un, unusual and unconventional means, means, yes. They were hot items is what <laughs> the problem was. And he bought them in the back alleys, and they were the real thing. So when they were stolen, he had a great loss, but he couldn't report it to the police, and he couldn't report it to the insurance company. So Johnny Dollar went out and found his artwork for him. And it was a great show, so I, I do have it, and I know you have it, and maybe one night we'll be able to uh, 
to listen to it because it really is it's an unusual show. Well, send it to uh, me again and we'll play it. I beg your pardon? Send it to me this week and we'll play it. Oh, that would be super. Yeah. I could do that. Now, what I didn't remember, and it's, it's kind of in the back of my head after I saw this, he was a gourmet chef. And he wrote several cookbooks. Did you know that? No, but I was just thinking what other celebrity it was a gourmet chef. Um, from the old-time radio period. Oh, we had a couple. Let me think. Gourmet chef. Gourmet chef. Yeah, he also was a orchestra conductor. Gee willikers, that must have been Fred Waring. And he was a terrific comedian. It wasn't Fred Waring? I don't think Fred Waring told jokes. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, I was still in the, uh... And he, devo and he devoted a lot of time to UNICEF. I, was that Danny Kay? That was Danny Kay. Danny Kay, oh, okay. Yeah. All right, I remember that, um, that he was a cook. Did he, did he do cookbooks? I don't know if he did cookbook, but he was a cook. He was a good chef. Yeah, okay, uh -huh. well, we've got cookbooks out there by Vincent Price, which I thought was, was pretty cool. Now, one thing... Hey, gosh, if we could find something on eBay for a couple pennies, maybe we can add some radio shows and donate to the auction. Oh, some Vincent Price cookbooks. Yeah. Oh, I don't know how old they would be. They're surely out of print. Well, let me see what's out there. There That's you go. Good idea. Good idea. That's a great idea. Now, it is reputed... Maybe we'll pick up his artwork from unusual means. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the 59 cents for right. You know, it's interesting, though. In the 1950s, and I believe the early 60s, he was associated with Sears and Roebuck. No kidding. And they had the Vincent Price art collection that they were selling in their home department. <laughs> he went out, they sent him all over the place, and he chose the artwork that they reproduced and had available to sell through their stores and their, and their catalog. I think art, Vincent Price must have been a very easy guy to work with. He get, hey, Vincent, would you be one? He probably said he probably did not turn too many ideas down. I have never heard or read anything bad no. about him, uh, especially in the sense of his personality. Right. That uh, he, he just apparently was just a very nice person. Oh, yeah. The Gasmans used to talk to him at the Pacific Pioneer Broadcasters. He was always trying to arrange for him to come speak at the old-time radio meetings. Uh-huh. He was just a busy guy, but he was very congenial and very easy to talk to. Congenial. I think that's probably the perfect word for yeah. him. Yeah. But he, he was just a nice person. Uh-huh. So, what is reputed about him, and reputed means the reputation means I couldn't find anything to verify this, mm -hmm. but it's reputed that he was superstitious, and he would joke about it himself. And the joke that he told about himself, or, or it wasn't even, I, he joked about it, it wasn't a joke, he joked about it, that he kept a horseshoe, a crucifix, and a mezuzah on his front door just to cover all the bases. That's yeah. interesting. Uh -huh. I, you know, I have no, I'm assuming it was an exaggeration and yep. that he was poking fun at himself. Yep. Yep. <clears throat> but I don't know. I mean, I couldn't find anything other than this anecdote. No picture on the web. No. No, nothing. Hmm. So, went to Yale, studied art, history, and fine art. Why doesn't that surprise us? How tall was he? Six one. He was six foot four. That's I didn't know he was that guy. tall. I think Rudy Valley also went to Yale. I think there was... There, there were a couple of them. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Well, maybe I'm thinking wrong, but I think there were several from the entertainment business that went from Yale. 
Well, now we've got this person who was so broad spectrum. And one of the quotes I pulled from him is so poignant. Mm -hmm. A man who limits his interests limits his life. It's true. How cool is that, you know? Well, it tells you one thing. My mom always said, well, you never get bored. Which is true. Because I've always got that forking on. And you're the same way, Patricia. No, I'm never bored. You're never always, bored. Always said if, so, if uh -huh. people are bored, there's a problem somewhere. Right. Yeah, I mean, seriously, there's a problem. And I think we live in a wonderful world. And a lot of things that you keep you look at your mind, occupation, and mm -hmm. I think. One of the probably best songs ever written was, It's a Wonderful World. Yes, and I think Louis Armstrong did such a great job on that. It's a wonderful world. Yeah. And, and, you know, and Vincent Price was probably the same. He had a lot of interest. Well, I dug around, yeah. I mean, he just, he was just the kind of person I would like to sit next to at lunch mm -hmm. and not go home. You know? <laughs> <laughs> just stay there with him. <laughs> we can make it through dinner and yep. maybe could, would it be okay if we stayed for breakfast? You bet. It would be good. All right, here, here's the deal. I went out and looked for movie posters, and I found one, The Invisible Man Returns. It was a universal 1940 movie. Uh-huh. It was the sequel. Now, this, I, I, I looked at the different prices, and this one is larger than the other ones that were up there, and I don't know what if there is something particularly special about this one, but it's about 10 times the price of the others that were smaller, the estimated value on this 27-inch by 41-inch poster, paper poster, mm -hmm. for The Invisible Man Returns is between eight and $10,000. Did I ever tell you my mom grew up in the city of Wayne, which is a small town in Nebraska? The movie theater was owned by one family from 1929 until into the 90s. They eventually sold it. They kept all of the lobby oh. cars. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, some of these, I can hear them uh, kitty patting right bing, now. Bing, 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 bing. So they made sure they kept those because they figured that's where the money was at. And boy, oh boy, were they right. Yeah. What eventually happened to the collection? They still have it. My understanding, they still have it. Well, could you hang up, please, so I could make plane reservations? And they live in Florida. Oh, I could walk. <laughs> yeah. Where are they? Yeah. Yeah. Florida is a very big state. It's a big state. It is. It's very narrow. Mm-hmm. And they, they talk about spitting on the Gulf side and you can reach the Atlantic. We had to drive to Yahoo, Yahoo, Yahoo Junction or whatever that midpoint to get over to that side of the state. Yahoo Junction? Yes. I don't think so. <laughs> That's what I think the middle part of Yahoo Junction or whatever that thing. I don't think so. <laughs> Somebody was pulling your leg. <laughs> I'm going to be very embarrassed if I find a Yahoo Junction. We'll wait for, for Nolan to call in. That, that's his territory. Up there. But that's what I team remember my aunt and uncle when I went over there and took a 96 back. Yahoo Junction. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I hope they were teasing you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got some other stuff here, but I will, I will hold that for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And we will go to Stump Walden. All right. Just... Directly, do not pass go, do not collect $200, just go directly to Stump Walden. All right. Which character actor, best known for comedy, played the unlikely role of Anthony J. Ryan in the Jack Webb detective series Jeff Reagan? 
Reagan called this guy the lion's eye. It was Anthony J. Lyon. Who played Anthony J. Lyon? Okay, I didn't hear the first part of the question. What character actor? Character actor, who is best known for comedy, played the role of Anthony J. Lyon in the Jack Webb detective series, Jeff Reagan, Investigator. Uh -huh. Reagan called him the lion's eye, and he was... Just a buffoon of yeah. a boss. I think it's Frank. I think it's Frank Nelson. It was Frank Nelson. And I, I was so surprised when I realized that's yeah. who they were announcing at the end of these shows. And I um, I met Frank Nelson. Did you really? Yeah. About it. Oh well, it's a it's a it's a never forget. Before we before we do that, Frank Nelson is the person you will hear on the Jack Benny show saying. Yes. Yeah. And in many other shows, so you'll, you'll recognize him. I'm sorry for interrupting. Go ahead. On October 9th, 1982, we attended the Spurvac annual dinner, which was to honor Frank Nelson and his wife, Viola Vaughn. Viola Vaughn earlier was married to Hanley Stafford, who people know to be daddy of Baby Snooks. So when Hanley Stafford passed away, Viola Vaughn, who was the Vim uh, Vital of the Jack Benny show, married Frank Nelson. Well, we went up to to the Brown Derby and got to hear him tell Frank Nelson was a rockin' tour storyteller. And he told great stories about... Did he? Oh, yeah, about uh, Clark Gable and his early days of Hollywood and, and being on these hunts with Clark Gable, Carol Lombard, and all these great stories in the early days of radio. And then they wrapped it up during the Bickersons. They had a, a routine that they would take the Bickerson script and hit the circuit with it. <laughs> <laughs> and so we spent, you know, back in those days, to t and there, it's the famous Brown Derby with all the sketches, and it was the four of us, our family. And the next day, I would get my Eagle Scout. Well, that was the night at 2 in the morning at, at uh, we got out of the Brown Derby, and we were hearing some problems with the car when we rolled in. And the cabal belt broke, so we spent till like two in the morning in downtown Hollywood. At that time, was not a safe place. Uh, there was a gasoline station trying to fix our car. So we get home, and we finally did. And we saw the interesting things in the middle of the night, you know. And we finally got home at four in the morning, went to bed, got up, and got my Eagle Scout. So that's what I remember about, and I got to meet Frank Nelson. And, he signed my program and uh, stuff like that there. That's, and stuff like that there. Mm -hmm. I went to, I guess it was the IMDb site, the yeah. um, Internet Movie, movie Database, data yeah. IMDb. And you can find anybody who's ever done anything in film, and a lot of radio and television people are up there as well. Oh, yeah. You can find great information on these people. <clears throat> Excuse me, but his list of credits just kept going and going and going. Not only for things like uh, his role in the Jack Benny show when he would play the floor walker. Right. And he he just did so many shows. He was the did opening so many voice. Movies did so much television, yeah. and he was one of these background characters who never was in the spotlight and always added such great texture and dimension to whatever project he was associated with. And he was, I think, what's that, until the mid-80s? At least. And he had a rapid commercial he did with for McDonald's. 
where he got his whole famous handle in the yes in the Madonna yes. show. Yeah. And quite a guy. He for many people he was quite an art conservative in uh, politically. And but when he was head of after he got them their health insurance plan. So a lot of people are very grateful in the entertainment industry that Frank Nelson negotiated and got uh, a wonderful health care plan for people. So he did a good thing. He did a good mm-hmm. deed. Well, this particular uh, IMDb does not give credit for things like advertising. Mm-hmm. So his list of credits is obviously much, much I bet you, if you Google up Frank Nelson and McDonald's right now on YouTube, you'll probably find a commercial. I'd, I'd probably find them. However, let's see. We've got Looney Tune, Bugs Bunny movie. He was a voice in that. Mm. Um, Thanksgiving, Puff the Magic Dragon. Uh, we go all the way in Petticoat Junction. He had a regular role in Petticoat Junction. Mm-hmm. Um, the Flintstones, Pete and Gladys on TV, Mr. Magoo. Mm-hmm. He was he was um, a voice in Mr. Magoo, the Danny Thomas show, I Love Lucy, Kelly and Me, Private Secretary, Our Miss Brooks. And it goes on and on and on. Now, going all the way back to... I met Mr. Magoo. Did you meet him back in... Yes. Oh, I'll t- it's an interesting story on that. I'll just tell you in a second or so. Okay, go ahead. Um, when I was seven years old, we used to turn Braille, Braille Institute had these wonderful Christmas parties. They would have celebrities. Like one year, I sat on Buddy Epson's leg while he while he was uh, handing out um, Christmas passes to kids. Uh, so one year, Jim Backus was one of the stars, and I was in the audience. And they was doing a photo op. They wanted to do a photo op, so they grabbed me out of the audience and got me up with Jim Backus to take some photo ops for some publications. How neat. Yeah. Did you get to talk to him for a while? Not really. It was, you know, a quick, quick kind of thing. You know, Jim put his arm around and we got it done kind of stuff. And then you went out and robbed a bank and he got busted. Yeah. That's how it works. That's how it works. That's how it works in show business. That's how it works in show business. Well, Mm -hmm. I was really impressed with the list that I saw. And did not realize that he was involved in so many different aspects of entertainment. He wasn't just radio. He wasn't just that. He did everything. We should be playing one of these nights, the interview on Sunday, that John Dunning did with Frank Nelson. Oh, goodness, yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, goodness, yes. What a what an interesting person yeah. he would oh, be much. to listen to. Oh, yeah. Okay. And so, he was so frank. He, he'd tell you who he liked and who he didn't like and why. <laughs> he was as upfront with that? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Oh, super. <laughs> Ever so super. Oh, yeah. All right. We got, I'm still on my advertising stuff here. My quote for the night came from Irma Bombeck, who was a humor writer decades ago. Yes. Funny. Yes. And said, in general, my children refused to eat anything that hadn't danced on TV. <laughs> I think she probably represented an awful lot of moms. It didn't dance. It didn't get <laughs> So that ties into what we were talking about before with all of these cute little characters running around selling sugar, flavored sugar. Okay, David Ogilvie. I told you about David Ogilvie, the really great guy who had Rolls Royce yes. as a client, the advertising person. Well, he did a list of rules to live by and to work by and to observe in the advertising agency. 
and it's only seven items. I mean, if you if you, if you use this list as your guide, your day to day guide, you're you're cool. You Number can, one, you, you maybe you can make as much money he did. And wouldn't that be great? You know, uh -huh. he had such a simple way of doing things, it, and he was in such a complex business, mm -hmm. and he knew how to deal with the complexities of marketing and advertising. But his approach was absolutely basic simple. His seven rules. Remember that Abraham Lincoln spoke of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. He left out the pursuit of profit. Good guy. Mm -hmm. Number two. These are, these are your rules. These are rules that he has set down for good business. Mm -hmm. Rule number two. Remember the old Scottish motto, be happy while you're living for you're a long time dead. <laughs> okay. Number three. If you have to reduce your company's payroll, don't fire your people until you have cut your compensation and the compensation of your big shot. I love that. That is just absolute basic principle as far as he was concerned. And, you know, he, I, I miss uh, him. He, you know, he died in 1991, and I miss him. Yeah, you know, four. and there's a great story about somebody following that model not too long ago. I'll talk about that in a, in a bit. And a lot of people, a lot of companies have done that, and they have fared very well. Actually, there's a famous hospital that they went to the people, and explained they got this much money, how could they save it? And so doctors and everybody came up with ideas to cut it, and it got down to a field, and they still kept cutting their own, mm -hmm. not to lose one worker's from the payroll. Sure. Several decades ago, Delta Airlines was in trouble, and their employees, and if you can believe this in this day and age, their employees helped bail them out. They bought an airplane for the company. Pulled their money, and they bought a jet for the company to <laughs> add it to their fleet. That's good stuff. Isn't that good stuff? Okay, number four. This mm -hmm. is strictly business. Define, mm -hmm. define your corporate culture and your principles of management in writing. Don't delegate this to a committee. Search all the parks in all of your cities, and you'll never find statues of a committee. Yeah, those are hard to find. Yeah, I agree. Hard to find. Mm -hmm. Good people, people who have made a difference, you see statues. You never find a statue of a committee. I love that. Mm -hmm. yep. Number five, stop cutting the quality of your products in search of bigger margins. The consumer always notices and punishes you. This is good. Number six, never spend money on advertising which does not sell. Meaning, if you can put up, isn't this a great product? But if there's nothing in there that says, please buy this great product, it's not selling. Mm -hmm. So that, that's a, a business one. Sure. And number seven is the most important. Bear in mind that the consumer is not a moron. She's your wife. <laughs> <laughs> not insult her intelligence. In, in one other area, he, he said, she's, she's my wife. Don't insult her. <laughs> so, so those are her, his seven rules that he built his company and his life by. And uh, he also he, said in one other place he never mm -hmm. handled a piece of paper more than once. Oh, I've heard some guys doing that. That's, that's, that's pretty good. I, that's really great if you have something to pass it off and say pay this bill. <laughs> Most people don't have the, the luxury of, uh, you know, having people for, for, to delegate things to. But anyway, I thought that was pretty cool. Good stuff. Yeah, good stuff. 714-545-2071. What's wrap? Everybody got to bed? Are you all asleep out there? We've been up and about for six hours, and we're still waiting for you to call. We are waiting for you to call. We have to get Nolan in here tonight because you have to ask him about what, Junction? 
Yahoo Junction. Yahoo Junction. Okay. Now, yeah. that's kind of an expression, Yahoo Junction. And he wasn't here last weekend, I don't think. He what? I don't think he was with us last weekend. He was not with us last weekend. You thought maybe because it was Mother's, Mother's Day. Day. Yeah. All right. So I've got some stuff here. I've got some useless but fun. You know my useless but fun stuff? The fun stuff that we always have with Patricia. You bet. Yeah. Yeah, this is from Time.com. Mm -hmm. Time Magazine has a, a, a website that's got some really cool stuff up there. And they had an article about jobs that are no longer promising in these hard times. And it said, scratch alligator trapper off your list. <laughs> that is not a good job to go for here. Now, this, is, this is worth it. Um, here's a job that would never be described as easy, and because of rising gas prices, a fall-off in the market for alligator meat and hides, and a strapped government budget, that re budgets that refuse to pay more to trappers to remove alligators, uh, the job doesn't represent easy money either. Now, this one, this one surprised me. We have alligator trappers here, and they go out and they trap alligators that have either shown lack of fear of people or their their large alligators swimming in areas where there were pets and, and little kids, stuff like that. So they've got alligator trappers. But Florida has been paying trappers a flat $30 fee per alligator removed or killed. Patricia, $30. That's... These things are 10 and 12 feet big. Patricia, that's not enough money. This is not enough money. Uh -uh. So it says to make a decent living, the trappers have had to sell the meat and hides of the captured alligators. The problem is the hides that used to sell for $60 a foot are now only $15 a foot. So don't go into the alligator trapping business. I agree. Okay, now we've got one of the nine quirky signs of the times. This relates to things we have talked about in relation to World War II. This year, there are fewer bows on designer dresses because the price of cotton and silk and wool and leather ah, and everything has gone up. Okay. And the hemlines are going up as well. Mm. And we saw that in World War II when yeah. fabric um, was becoming more scarce. Right. So they stopped putting bells and whistles and trims on clothes. They took the cuffs off the men's pants mm -hmm. and the women's skirts went up. It was a fabric conservation move. Oh. And we're seeing the same thing here. Nice. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So we're, we're back in World This is scary. We're back in World War II. <laughs> we're moving ahead 66 years ago. Hey, what? We're moving ahead 66 years ago. Something about full circle stuff. Mm -hmm. All right. How much water can a pelican's pouch hold? A gallon. Three gallons. Wow. Isn't that amazing? That's more what you and I can drink, yeah. They do not fly with three gallons. They can hold three gallons, but they do not fly. Okay. Now, you're going to have to help me sort this one out because I, I divided this up and everything. According to reliable information, there are 284 restrooms along 17.5 miles of corridors in the Pentagon. Yes. Now, 284 restrooms comes out to every 325 feet. Yeah. Now, when they talk about restrooms, are they talking about women's, you know, the ladies and the men's restrooms side by side? Is that one restroom stop? Could be, or, or it could be some private ones in some of the offices. 
Well, it says along the corridors. Yeah. So. Well, you know how big the Pentagon is, don't you? Yes, very huge. It is so big, everybody, that you can stick the George Washington Monument and tip over and wouldn't hit, would not hit anything. It wouldn't hit anything. They're saying 17.5 miles of corridors. That's a lot of miles of corridors. I, I understand that. You know how the post office delivers mail? No. They go by roller skate. Oh, that sounds reasonable. <laughs> My uncle had two tours of duties in the Pentagon. It's a big, big place. place. Yeah. Place. Well, I want to know if if they how they count these restrooms. If <laughs> well, well I don't. I think my uncle Jim for sleep. We can call him one night. Yeah. Jim, we but, can. Yeah. We can yeah. call him one night. But if, if the men's room next door to the ladies' room, if those are counted as two restrooms, then we're in trouble because that separates them by about six hundred feet, mm -hmm. which is quite a distance. If you gotta go, 600 feet is a lot of distance, you yeah. know? Well, I guess you have to go early. You don't wanna wait. <laughs> Call early at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, that is, we have 284 restrooms in the corridors of the <laughs> Pentagon. That's amazing. Big place. That's amazing. All right, now here's here's something that will tug at your little heart. And you know what? I think I was, we were talking about the Pentagon today, and I think uh, they were built very quickly. It went up in 1943, and I think they did it as a, as a rice job. Well, they did a good job. You bet. So you got something for my little, my little bitty heart? We'll tug at everybody's heart. All right. The male fox will mate for life, and if the female dies, he remains single for the rest of his life. Aww. However, if the male dies, the female will hook up with a new mate. Now, there's something wrong with this picture. Well, the male, he, he gets broken hearted. The hussy? <laughs> this is not good. This is not good. We're upsetting the balance of nature. That poor, that poor little fox walks around without a mate for the rest of his life. He loved it. Oh, gosh. You know? Well, that's, that's kind of hard. That, that tugged at my heart. Uh-huh. The poor little fox. And the hussy goes out and hooks up with another male something wrong here. Well, I guess he got something to do. Okay, well, here's here's a fun thing that was just issued this week out of London. Associated Press. Smokey the Cat has been in, uh, inducted into the Guinness World Records. Yeah. As having achieved the loudest purr by a domestic cat. Now, here's the thing that, that just will knock your socks off. Uh-huh. The cat set a record of 67.7 decibels. A lawnmower puts out 90. <laughs> now, I mean, how do you, you just don't want to make this cat happy, you know? You just don't want to make so, this cat no, happy. So if I'm going to bed and the cat decides to sleep with me, I just probably will not be able to fall asleep. You do not pet this cat. <laughs> You do not say, nice kitty. You do not make this cat want to lick its little whiskers and stuff. 67 decibels. That's a biggie. Um, that's good big, grief. Big stuff. That, uh, now that's fun. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's mm -hmm. useless, but fun. Mm -hmm. And on May 20th, the post office is issuing a new stamp. A new 44-cent stamp. What are, what are they issuing on Friday? They are issuing an Indy 500 stamp. Ah, get ready for the Indy because of the 100th anniversary. 
That is exactly it. Ah. Um, the first race, 1911, and they've got a reproduction of the winning car in that first race. It was called the Marmon Wasp, W-A-S-P, like a wasp. Uh, customized yellow and black car, and that's going to be the picture on on the stamp. I bet Jim neighbors still go back to sing back home in Indiana. Every time they duck to before they fire up the engine. Yeah. Back home again. Question for you. In Indiana. What I you got? Have a baseball question for what, you. What you got? What you got? I have a baseball question for you. I didn't want you to be disappointed. What you got? What you got? What you got? All right. Now I got most of these. I thought I was pretty cool. You are smart. There are eight ways a baseball player can legally reach first base without getting a hit. It's now eight. Okay. Well, we can we can work on this. And I'm going to have to do this one at a time, okay? All right. Without getting a base hit, right? Without getting a base hit. Okay, he can walk. Right. He can get hit by a pitch. Right. He can get get on base with an arrow. Correct. Uh, he can get on base as a force out. A forced out. out. In other words, let's say... He hits the ground ball, and he's running the first, and they get, they get the runner out at second base, and he can reach first base. That's a ground ball. Uh-huh, but they call it a force out. Well, it, he's doing it without a hit. Right. The ball does not connect to the bat. Well, no, what they mean by a hit, I think, is a base hit. Anything. The, the, it does not hit the bat. He, he just stands there, and he does nothing, and he can still get to first base. Well, late. see, an error, he can get on, he, he hit the ball to cause an error. Or an error out on the, yes, go ahead. Okay, so how many is that for me now? Three. No, I think it's four. He's uh, <laughs> got a walk, hit by a pitch, and an error. error. Well, catcher's error first. Catcher interference, defensive yeah. interference, yes, that would be correct. Mm-hmm. Um, how about runner's interference? Well, that would be defensive interference. Okay. What? Okay, I I think I'm done. What you got? Oh, you, you're gonna you're gonna say, oh wow. Mm -hmm. If it is the fourth ball, a balk will get him on first base. If it's a fourth ball. Fourth, fourth ball, you know, yeah, ball one, yeah, ball two, yeah. ball three. I did ball. not know that rule. That's, yeah. that's new for me. Okay. Okay, so that that one's up there. That's new. And the fielder's choice. I did not know we yeah. have a fielder's choice. Fielder's choice, is, I, guess I, I guess I spoiled it wrong. What I think, for, you know, uh, force out. But fielder's choice is what I meant. Okay, I, that's good. A fielder's choice. Okay, and it, uh, this one, I, I, I should have gotten this one right away, and I didn't. A designated pinch runner. Correct. Yeah, that's a good one. Would have automatically gotten yep. sent to, uh, to first base. Correct. And dropped third strike. Correct. Dropped the ball, and he's, he's on. He yeah, he swings the ball, dropped the catch, and then the catcher's got to get him out of first base. If not, he's on. Eight ways to get on. Yeah, I never knew about the fourth, fourth ball box. That's a new one for me. That's good. That's, That's good, it? Patricia. Very good. Well, it's, it, if a balk is called, which is very unusual, Correct. if a balk is called, is that an automatic... Ball? It basically, yes, it's, it's an automatic ball, so that, and also allows the runners to move up a base. Right, so 
this one was not a surprise for you if it's the fourth ball and I never, walks. Yeah, I never thought about it, though. He, he yeah. automatically. In any case, i never seen it before. Happened. A balk allows a, a runner go down to yeah, first base. Yeah, when was the last time we heard about a balk? It happens. Not very often. No, it happens a few times a year. You don't see them happen all that often. Conversation. A Morton's fork. Do you know what a Morton's fork is? No, is it different from a Morton's spoon? Yes, and oh. it's different from Morton's salt. Huh. I don't know. Fork. I had never heard that before. Mm -hmm. It is, it comes out of the Chancellor of something or other. What the heck is he here? Chancellor under King Henry VII. So this is a long way back. This is like 14 1500. He was the Archbishop of Canterbury, did all sorts of neat things. And it came from the, the it, it's, it's close to you darned if you do and you darned if you don't. Mm -hmm. His right. approach was in collecting money um, and extracting from the wealthy, is, is the way they put it. If the merchants he was trying to collect money from lived ostentatiously, you know, and in puffy and very showy, it was obvious that they had enough money to spare, so the king should get some. Conversely, if they lived frugally, if they had, if they, if they didn't spend a lot of money, they had humble houses, that meant that they had to be saving a lot of money, and therefore they could contribute to the king. <laughs> okay. And that was called being impaled on a Morton's fork. Wow. I have never heard that expression before. That was brand new for me. We learn something every day with I Patricia. know. This is such an educational show. Mm -hmm. Oh, golly. Okay, what else do you want to do? You decide, my dear. I decide? You decide. Want to know where the free ice cream is? Where can we go this week? We can go to the Dairy Queen. My, we'll make my mom happy. She that loves. would make your mom happy. Uh -huh. Well, you have to sign up. You have to go to blizzardfanclub.com, and that will bring you to the Dairy Queen place and if you sign up you will get a buy one get one free coupon they will also send you a coupon for a freebie on your birthday i think we need to send that to my mom she would love that hello there you're on the air well i i thought i i, I tell you that i'm barely awake but i'm awake well, <laughs> how with the, I, I heard you guys. how with the ballerinas the ballerinas my granddaughters mm-hmm huh? It real well, and uh, you know, I tell you, if um, I, I guess I guess ballet must be really nice to look at, you know. Did, it's did, visual. Did you, You're did, right. It's a visual yeah. art. Did you sing the Vimey Roll song? Dance, ballerina, dance. Because the music is so beautiful. Yeah. You know, for ballet. That's why I thought if you put your hand on the stage, they could tap on it for you. Right. You'd probably get hurt. Okay, I know. Yeah. Um. What happened to the Los Angeles Lakers there, Walden? Um, I think they had internal difficulties inside but the I team. I, I think they had some internal, internal uh -huh. amongst the players. And I, yeah, and really they didn't have any street, sh they didn't have any outside shooting per se, and the bench didn't really cooperate. Um, 
So, it was, you know, it happens. I think, you know, um, it, it was sad to see Phil Jackson go out the way he did. But I think um, they're going to have to get some new blood in the Lakers lineup. They need a point guard. They need a quick point guard and and some shooting outside. And they should be I know, I really lost this cool. Mm. It was sad. Uh, yes. Sad. Yeah. You know, I think they would like to get Dwight Howard. Huh? I think they would like to get Dwight Howard. Well, they, you know, he, you know, they think they'd be the right match. Maybe. You agree, it Patricia? Sad to see the Lakers go down in four. I know. It, it was sad, but, well, but you know, I, I think Oklahoma will win tonight, and I wouldn't be surprised if they take Dallas, and we'll probably see Oklahoma versus Miami in the finals. But you know something? I really, you know, I like the underdog this time. I hope she because she, um, I hate when people, well, I mean, it's their choice, but Howard and um, LeVon, LeVon James, and, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, they ganged up, I mean, they said, let's all take a cut and, you know, mm-hmm. let's all play together and let's wipe these other guys out or... But you got in mind, they all took less money to do it. That's right. Because they wanted... To play together. They were so uh, incensed of wanting to win. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, I hate when they're piling up with all these superstars. So I I like the underdog to beat them. So who are you going to pull for? Well, that's what I mean. I hope Chicago beats Miami in in their series. Right. But it's going to be difficult. Right. Then, um... Who do you like in the West? Huh? Who do you like in the West? Well, I guess, um... <coughs> I mean, Oklahoma. Memphis would be an interesting story. Yeah, Memphis would be interesting. Mm-hmm. But I got to give, um... Let's see. <laughs> Who's the other team now? Let's see. Memphis is playing Oklahoma, and then you have Dallas. The Dallas. Mm-hmm. Um, Dallas is going to, yeah, take the Western Division or whatever. Well, That's true. Cool. Yeah. Um, Did you have a good time? Huh? Did you have a good time? No matter, you know, something, Patricia, no matter where I go, I always figure out a way how I can have a good time. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I don't think you go and have a bad time anywhere. No, I I go with this attitude that mm-hmm. if I have a bad time, it's usually my own fault. Because if you look for faults, if you look for a reason why it's terrible, you're gonna have a you're gonna have a bad time. But you try to find the good in everything you go. And of course, not everything is great, but but you know I don't like I don't like whiners and complainers and stuff like that that really over they keep on complaining about this and that this and that I think if they do that then they should just stay home I mean I don't know That's take it you had a good time <laughs> have a good time yeah I take it you had a good time yeah I had a good time it sounds like it I'm glad I, 
in high school, no matter what date I went out with, I had a good time. She might have had the most boringest time. <laughs> I was just going to say, did she have a good time? <laughs> <laughs> she might not have. Because, come to think of it, she never went out with me again. But <laughs> hey, 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 Ron, did the girl fall in love with you because you could play the piano? You know, you know, I gotta tell you something. Yeah. Music is is a way to a man. You know, you, you can you can get a a woman excited. Um, I think a singer can do more than a piano player. I think I used to admire um, people like Gene Autry and Eddie Dean and Jimmy Wakey, who could sing on their horse, sit on their horse. <laughs> I think you crack me up. You're in a horse and I'd be I always wanted to ride a constipated horse. That is not the kind of music you were hoping to hear. <laughs> but every time I rode a horse, the horse would have to relieve himself, either from eating too much food or... Oh, jeez. It was not very romantic at all. Oh, my gosh. What, what is that? I don't know how to ask.
we're finished. <laughs> Ron, you just put us away. Yes, I've been up too long. Oh, but that was funny. <laughs> if it were just one of us who was laughing, I would say you're right. But <laughs> you got both of us at the same time with that one. Oh, gosh. Well, that shows my romanticism. <laughs> Riding into the sunset on the sunset. And that's how you entertain uh, Gail by singing on a horse and were constipated. <laughs> oh, it was the unconstipated. <laughs> the problems here. Uh, oh, my. <laughs> All right, well, let me, let me start. I don't know how to ask. <laughs> All right, now you said a singer has an advantage over a musician. Uh-huh. In romance department. Uh, you know why the words, in, in music, the words tell the story a lot. All these romantic songs, you listen to the words, and it really sends a great message, you know. And the singer who sings well can, um, you know, send the message out with the right words. And <laughs> why do you think when Doris Day sang Secret Love, mm-hmm. I was singing to myself, boy, I wish... She'd be singing this song to me, you know. What? And now I shouted from the highest. I mean, that, the words are just. You want? Well, you know. You know. You want to know a story about Secret Love? Yeah. Uh, it was the hardest song for them to get for the Society of Seniors. The Society of Seniors is the group that took care of down and out seniors to pretty much. Uh, did not have any money to take care of the food or the, or the bills. Uh, it got started because both Bob and Ray Everly died completely broke. And when they found out uh, Helen Forrest, the great band singer of Harry James, could not take care of her food bill, her grocery bills. Really? Yeah. Uh, Kitty Callen, Connie Haynes, a couple of girls, and you put together a group to raise money to take care of their own. And... They decided to the best way to raise money was to put together a double CD set of the great songs, and it worked on for two years. And the the toughest song for Bud Grant or Kitty Heisman to get was Secret Love because four different songwriters had credits on it. Oh God! And it took forever, almost took two years to get the right to get that song on the CD. Wow! Yeah. So there's a little story about secret love. That's interesting. Yeah. I, 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 that's an interesting story. Mm-hmm. When I got out, I think the CD rate, uh, if, I'm trying to remember, I think it was close to a half million dollars. To, or so, between the two and fifty to a half million dollars to take care of people. But uh, Good work. You the bet. The story you told about Frank Nelson was quite interesting, too, of how he helped to... Get medic. Uh-huh. He, he was the one that was responsible to drive through to get uh, to get health insurance for the after union people. That's interesting. He was responsible for that. Well, I got to go outside and say goodnight to my horse. <laughs> <laughs> Feed the pony. Feed <laughs> the pony. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and it's a about, and is it really true about the foxes? If a male, if a female fox dies, the male doesn't fool around for the rest of his life. Doesn't I mean? It's, uh, he's either stupid or she's a hussy. I'm not. I'm not sure which. That's what it says. I mean, everything on the internet is true. Wow. That's sad. 
sad. It made me really sad. I want to tell you that he he's a romantic and she doesn't give a hoot. <laughs> There you go. He has one love. He has one love in a lifetime. And she, and she goes hanging out on street corners. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty dumb. <laughs> anyway, that was quite interesting. Boy, I hope my wife outlives me, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You're terrible. <laughs> you are... Oh, well. You are a piece of work. Anyway, I will talk to you guys next week, and I will put together <coughs> our date with um, the railroad hour, and you make sure the popcorn is ready to, to go when you get it. Mm -hmm. and, that. And, and Grand Central Station. Yeah, how many Grand Central Station shows do you have? Do you remember? There's only seven, you know. I don't know why. Um, there, there should be more, but that's how we can come up with. And they're good. And the last show is the same show that you hear every Christmas. Oh, the, yeah, we were talking about that earlier tonight when you were out at the ballet. That was a very, very warm story. It was interesting, and it was very 1940-ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was very good. And Mason Adams did a real good job of, of playing the ambulance driver. Huh? Yeah, it was, it was a very good story. Oh. oh, there you go. We were talking about commercial advertising. What is Mason Adams was known for? What commercial? Smuckers. That's right. What was it? What advertising was he known for? Yeah, what, what was the answer? Ron, go ahead. Smuckers. You know Smuckers. Yes, that was Mason Adams. He was the spokesperson for Smuckers. Okay. And he was good in, in oh, yeah. the Three the Mystery Theater. Yep. He was good at being Pepper Young's family. Yep. I mean, he, he did some good stuff, Mason. Good, good career. Yeah. Good. He had a real good career. And you know, it's amazing how you could recognize these radio voices. Oh, I know. You know, uh, I know. Robert Dryden and. Yep. I was just sitting there. I gave Janet Waldorf a hug today, and I was just sitting there sitting on stage. There's this gal who, here, 2011, had the same voice 70 years ago. Yeah. It's just amazing. Right. That's right. She sounds the same. Sounds the same. It's just like Gloria McMillan. They, they, they have this still um, young, yeah. warm yep. voice. And and it's just like um, Patricia. I know. 78, she does not sound 78 at all. Oh, thank you, Ron. I mean, you may look it, but you <laughs> don't sound it, though, you know. But these, I mean, really, it's, it's... I hang around you guys, it doesn't matter. That's true. That's true. You know, that's funny about video, yeah. You Looks don't know doesn't what people count. Really, I'm your pinup girl. That's right. Looks doesn't count. You don't count. know what the people really look like, you know. You don't want to know. Um, somebody said, if you could see what Mary Noble... Backstage wife? Yeah, you can realize why she stayed backstage. <laughs> Me. Really cool. That was really cool. So if, you, if you saw who played the part of Mary Noble, you know you would know why Larry fooled around. <laughs> that was cruel. That was cruel. That was cruel. And that's how come she stayed backstage, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know who. But but uh, yeah, we don't know what radio stars look like. You know, 
We had no idea. No, and I was, I, I, it just wrecked my brain when I saw what Jim and Mary and Jordan looked like, and I watched one of the Fibber McGee and Molly movies. It took forever for me to get back into my normal mindset. Did you watch it on TV, or you, somebody sent you a copy? Both. Both? Oh, okay, that's interesting. Um, yeah, um... Uh, you know who was a real neat father, played the part of a father? They wanted to play this in young, one man's family. Uh, yeah, Anthony Smythe. Anthony J. He was always a bachelor. And he was a, a romantic leading man in San Francisco. Carlton dubbed him for the role in San Francisco, brought him home. And he and uh, Mama, Mama Barber, uh, <clears throat> or very proper with each other off, off air, even though you sound like they loved each other on air. Yes, yes. And in 1950, when he thought the show was, was uh, dead, said, you know, the 30 minute show ended, and eventually they were going to stop doing the show. So he went to bed, and he thought his life was over. But once he heard they were coming back on the air at the 15, he got back in bed, out of bed, and had a great time for another 10 more years. And then when they, when they took it off, he went back to bed, and he, went, and he passed away. Mm. But that was his life. He lived oh, with, my goodness. He lived with his sister and his and his niece, and and but he was always a bachelor. Um, let's see. What was the run on one man's family? Then? One day short of 28 years. That's right. That's right. What a run. What a run. And they were, what, 15 minutes? The last 10 years, it was 15 minutes, yeah, five days a week. The other one was half an hour. Half hours, yeah. So we're up to 1958 right now. How frequently were the half-hour shows played? Once a week. Okay. My favorite story, I had once with Carlton E. Morris. And he was telling me, in 1985, he told me he got chance to fire on the very first China Clipper in 1937. He was all excited about this because... The plan was, it took six days to fly from San Francisco to China. So you would stop in Hawaii and Midway and all these islands to get there. And here was 1937, he was a hot radio writer, and one man family was on the air, and he thought it would be a great way to take a vacation. And back in those days, you know, you worked every day, you wrote the script, you produced the show, go back and write. So he decided to work really hard and write ahead. Well, he rode ahead, all right, two weeks. Got on the trip. Midway through the trip, he realized he didn't write far enough. So he wound up spending one day in China. The next day, he had to get back on the plane, fly back home in time to write the next script of One Man's Family. Well, that was a heck of a vacation. <laughs> <laughs> Hopscotching and flying. Yep. Aww. Yep. Been two weeks on an airplane, hopscotch and flying, and not really spending any time in China. Oh my goodness! Well, <laughs> but it, it was a very good program, and, and Grandpa did did such Barbara did such a good part of playing the Grandpa. Uh, that's right, Anthony Smythe. A very good program, very warm program, and their philosophy was very good. It may not be for today's philosophy, but 
It was a character-driven show. Carlton Morris wrote character-driven stories. You, for when you listen to I Love a Mystery, you knew who Jack, Doc, and Rachel were. Mm-hmm. He, he, when you listen to one man, you knew what the personalities were. He, that's how he wrote. And that's probably why he was successful, because we knew the personalities. Yep. Hazel, Jack, and Hazel, Paul. Jack, and Paul. Yeah. Claudia. And you got to really get to feel like you got to know them. Yeah. You know, you got to kind of know their character real well. Right. And you got to know the house. You knew that Paul lived on the upper, upper story, and... Yeah. And you knew the whole storyline. Yeah. It was very interesting. Well, I'll let you guys go to bed. It was about to go to sleep. Okay. <laughs> and uh, nice talking to you. It's still Saturday here, and it's almost... Um, oh, my gosh. It's, it's only 5 in the morning for Patricia. It's 5 in the morning. Only 5. Morning. Are you going to put the horses up for us? <laughs> You're, I'm going to jump on and sing first. There you go. You're going to put the piano on the horse's back and play and sing? A little lullaby and whatever. Lullaby. And sing right off into the sunset. There you go. Oh, Ron, my sides hurt. I laughed so hard. Nice talking to the two of you. It's always nice talking to you. Two. You know, I really hope, serious now, I hope that one day in in our lifetime, uh, they won't be, we'll, we'll have to talk on the phone. We'll get to really sit mm-hmm. down at a round table and laugh and have a good time, you know. It will happen. Person. Patricia will make an appearance. <laughs> yes. <laughs> She'll make an appearance on her 79th birthday, maybe. Right. <clears throat> we we got to get together. Like, you and Walden met each other in person. Yep. We did a couple of times. You gotta meet me. I'm a wonderful person to meet. We could tell I that. Think you are too. We could tell that. We'll talk to you later. Guys. <laughs> All right. Okay, bye. Ron. Good night. Thanks for calling. Aloha. 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 That twice in one night that I couldn't control myself. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It just it blindsided <laughs> me. <laughs> it just came up the side and went whap right on the side of the head. Now Classic. I got an email. That's definitely like the squirrel thing, you know? Uh-huh, exactly. Hello there. They hit the hotline where everybody that loved to make Patricia and Walden laugh. Yeah, I got in on the laugh, and I didn't get in on the red. On the, on the joke, huh? <laughs> yeah, I missed the joke. Oh, dear. What happened was Ron was had, had gone to a ballet tonight. His granddaughters were in a ballet. And he said the music was beautiful, and we were talking music a little bit, and he said... And I asked, you know, Ron, did he get the girls? Because he, you know, he's a special, professional musician at the pianist. And he said that musicians, or, or people who could sing, singers, were more romantic than musicians. And, and we're in this really serious frame of mind, and he said he always envied... Gene Autry and Jimmy Wakely. Jimmy Wakely on their horses, <laughs> on their horses, and it just struck me so funny that in the middle of this really serious conversation about which is more romantic, music or singing, he's got two people up on a horse singing, and it just struck me funny. I think you had to be there. Yeah, well, it definitely struck you funny. I got that. <laughs> Occurred? Do you have difficulty it would be to get a piano on a horse? Get a piano on a horse? No. <laughs> <laughs>
I don't think so. <laughs> How are you doing? You sound hoarse tonight, speaking of horses. Get up and see, man, but I'm here. Are you okay? <clears throat> yeah, I guess so. Um, and our computer ain't working right, so I walked to the shop to see if you were still here. Are we? Yeah, I think you are. This computer worked. So you're going to fill us in? What kind of a week did you have? Well, um, it's improving. I finally got the shot to my back Wednesday. And, uh, oh, good. How did it... I think he was using ground rods for needles and... Uh, thought he was driving them too, but um, it's a whole lot better. It's not cured, but it's uh, it's considerably better. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm awful thankful for that. I just hope it will improve some. He said it would take a couple of days, but it's been a couple of days, and uh, matter of fact, this morning I guess will be four days. Um, I was hoping for a little more, but um, it might still do better. Yeah. You were really hurting there. Oh, you better believe I was. And uh, he told me to go give me one shot. And when push came to shove, uh, I wound up with two. One in two different places. And huh? um, I had a biopsy on my neck here a few months ago. I think four needles in my neck to get that, and I tell you, that was nothing compared to that back business. Wow. But anyway, hopefully it was all worth it. I'm glad you're in better shape this week. Well, so far, I am. You are, huh? Afraid I missed whatever went on last night, but it had been a couple of weeks, so I just thought I might better call for a minute anyway. Well, I'm so glad you did. Um, because we, we miss, when, when you don't call, we miss you. And, and I said something tonight that I thought you would be very proud of. What did I say, Walden? Oh. You know, you, you thought you dropped in a little shutter. And... Yeah, like, y'all come back now. Uh-huh. Or y'all yeah, call, yeah, call again. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Okay. Is yeah. that good? Well, if you do that without thinking, you're getting there. You know, I didn't. It just kind of fell out, and I said, oh, boy, Harwood's going to be so proud of me. I, I really wish I hadn't missed that. Ah, you missed it. I'm heartbroken. Yeah, well, I should have come down here earlier. I didn't sleep too well last night. And finally, about 1.30, I just gave it up. But mm. I was reading and, and found out the computer was screwed up. And uh, I thought about coming down here, and I put it off and put it off until about 4 o'clock. And I decided that after I got the coffee made and all that stuff, I was coming anyway. So that's what I did. Uh, you know, walk to the shop. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, we're still here. We were waiting for you. Uh, we're faithful. I wouldn't question that for anything. <laughs> <laughs> I bet y'all are really tired being on here two weeks waiting. Oh, we were, you know. Um, I mean, that's one thing we mentioned last week, uh, even after we got off, that Harwood hadn't called and no one hadn't called, and that was unusual, and I knew you weren't feeling well, so I'm really glad well, you're but, calling in tonight. Last week was somewhat of a light week on the phone. This one has really been a hot and heavy night. Making up for it, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think everybody must have felt sorry for us or something. So, are you okay in all of this horrid weather and flooding and 
Are you getting infected? Yeah, we've been real lucky. Uh, we've had some close calls here like in Sanford, North Carolina. They got hit bad, really bad. And um, some tornadoes have passed north of where I am. But uh, all we've had is a few thunderstorms and some rain and stuff like that, but nothing really serious, and I'm uh, quite thankful for that. Mm -hmm. I've been had by lightning before here, and... Uh, it always worries me. I, you know, I kind of like to hear thunder, but I don't like lightning because I, I know what that can cause. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm still in the stupid stage where I love it when these storms come through. And my building got hit one time a few years ago, um, but that was that was the only time. Well, you know, we've never had anything caught on fire, or anything, but I've had. Had the motor knocked out on the milling machine once, and um, I always worry about the computer. Um, I guess I've had some fairly close calls with that, but... I had an uncle who knocked, got knocked out by lightning. Ooh, ow. Him in the back. Ooh, ow. Yeah. He was lucky he survived. Yeah. Indeed. Lightning is bad. You know, I mean, we have to deal with lightning all the time on towers and mm. ground systems and stuff like that, and it's... You can't prevent it, but you can control it if you're willing to go as far as it takes. But you're going to pay sooner or later. You're going to either pay to control it or pay because you didn't. Mm-hmm. But um, lightning is some bad news. Powerful, powerful stuff. Yes, I tell you, if that could be harnessed for use, useful purpose, it would, uh, it would be amazing if it could be stored. Are you in the market for a question, and you're going to knock my socks off tonight? I don't know if I can answer it, but I will try. Oh, gosh. You know, you are so good. You start out kind of shuffling and say, oh, I don't know. Okay. I'm, I'm going to make this really hard for you. I'm listening. Okay. I was waiting for a reaction. Okay. You really are. <laughs> well, baby breath one next. <laughs> Oh, my gosh, what a family we have. Okay, John Daner starred as the lead character in two radio shows set in the Old West. Now, if it were anyone else, I would ask name one, but I'm going to ask you to name both of them. Frontier Gentlemen and Helga and Will Travel. Right. Now, the bonus one, what other series she was the lead in? Whoops. What was what? Another series. She was the lead in a third radio series. But what's now Western? He was in a bunch of different shows, but a lead. That should come to me, but it's not. Um, he was the lead in a, in a third show? Yes, but not, it was now Western. Are we going to know this, or is it one of these really cute ones that's stuck away in a corner with only one show surviving? We should know it. There are quite a few shows surviving. It's sort of a... a, sort of a uh, like an adventure? No. Horror. It's a horror show. A horror show? Mm-hmm. Are you serious? A dead series. De dead series, yeah. Oh, gee. Screw me right now. It's, it's just not... I don't know. I know I'm going to slap the side of my head. All right. Heard his name. Go ahead. 
He was the star of the Hermit Cave. Oh, no. Yes. I would have never got yeah, that. Yeah, it, it was a series that was done locally in KBC and then, of course, no, it did I Michigan. I don't remember him. And, but, yeah, that was his first break. He, he was the, the host of... That was not a break. That was a terrible... <laughs> would have been a curse for anyone else. But it got the start of a lot of famous Hollywood radio actors who got to go work on the KMPC and that was a local show. They couldn't wait to get off it. Yeah, well, John Daniel, William Conrad, Virginia Gregg all worked that over there. What a dreadful show. <laughs> I mean, it really was dreadful. <laughs> How did he? Oh, my goodness. No wonder I Honestly, don't. Remember a lot of the hosts and announcers. Now those don't come to me like that. Well, that's why I just thought it was just going in there, just as a, as a bonus question. Figured nobody. Yeah, well, know. I would have never got. Just wrecked my whole night. John Daner on that show? Yeah, he was the hermit. Oh dear me. Oh dear me, I'm wrecked. Some time ago, I heard the last one of the um, How Gun Will Travel shows and how it ended. But I don't ever recall how the TV show ended. Um, they just cut it off, maybe. Well, I don't know. That you're talking about on, on the radio, the one where... Um, where he was catching the train to go back mm -hmm. east to Manny. Oh, and he said goodbye to Hayboy and, oh. and Missy Wong. They were going... I guess Missy Wong was going back to her family. No, they were going to get married, and so they want. So she said, "Let me know when the wedding, if you right. get married." Right, he would come back for the wedding. Uh huh. Right, but you see, I do not remember that from back in the fifties. Um, of course, I didn't hear every one of them then either. I was in school, yeah. and I did not hear every one of them, so it was a good reason to have missed it. Well, let's see. While you guys are talking, and you decide what I what I need to send you, because you got both of them. You were good. You were. Yeah, good. I've got both. Well, no, wait a minute. No, I mean you got both of the shows in the question. Oh, yeah, I know. Uh, but I, you did send me uh, Frontier Gentleman. I've, I've, well, I'm, I would kind of like to have, um, one of them would be um, uh, Luke Slaughter of Tombstone. I got some of them. Yeah. Or too many of those. And I guess the star of that show did not live very much past the show. Oh, really? Yeah. He died very, very young. Well, he was a very good yeah. part. I don't have an awful lot of them. There wasn't very many of them. I didn't think there were, but maybe... Maybe 18, Patricia. Not very many. Okay. Yeah. 106 episodes. Okay, I'm looking up um, the last one. Okay, what's the second one you would like? Well, I mean, you don't need to do it now. I'll get something else some other time. But I'll, 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 the, um, oh, oh, I love a, a, um, a mystery. The, I love adventure ones I didn't like quite as well, but they were good, too. Mm -hmm. um, so, I love a mystery. Have you ever heard Adventure by Moise? You probably heard those. Um, yes, but right now I can't think of any of them. Yeah, Adventure by Morris with a, with a, uh, oh, Cobra King Strike Back, a bunch of, they, they had, it was an interesting 52-week series. They have a combination of 10-chapter ten, ten stories and 3-chapter stories to make up a cycle. Okay. It was Captain, Captain Friday and, and Skip. 
And it was pretty much with Jack, Doc, and Lacey, but it was just way Carlton decided to make it a syndicated show. Okay, that, that does not... I mean, the series sounds familiar, but what you said doesn't mm -hmm. ring a bell. Well, then you definitely would know I love a mystery. Yeah, I mean, that that's my first choice, you and I bet. love adventure. That, they were pretty good, but they I didn't were. think they were quite as good as the... I love mystery, but I no, that just, you're, you're totally, I totally agree with you. Just my preference. I agree with you. And Patricia got some of that, I think. Got some of what? I love a mystery. Oh, I have some I love a mystery, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I have some of that. I wrote it down right next to his name, Luke Slaughter, and I love a mystery. Yeah, that's fine. I was trying to find the final show on um, I was going to say Gunsmoke Half Gun Will Travel and I can't find it yet final show let me say final show mm -hmm. we're going to do that <clears throat> final episode let's see in the radio tw November 27, 1960 now well the radio we know mm -hmm. um, I'm looking for TV Iron by Tedner, Tedner's body, face of a shadow. <laughs> Two matches. Hmm. Final episode. Paladin is hired by Dan Tibner to deliver a thousand dollars. Um, that was a radio show. Uh -huh. they, well, I think they use the same script sometime. Oh, okay. Tidner ends up dead with the money missing. There are numerous suspects, including a band of gypsies, but it doesn't give the rest of the story. Hmm. Paladin, oh, summary, let's see. Oh, Paladin was not your normal gunfighter. We already knew that. He was da-da-da-da-da, became high price. Well, we're not getting much information here. Have gun while travel. Final, final. Radio show. We don't want radio. I said TV. Help me here. Classic TV shows. You may not find what exactly what you're looking for. Now, it may be because maybe I'm a little sheltered life, but it just seemed like radio, I mean, TV series just ended. There was no end to a lot of them. Yeah. Wrapping it up. It just... They just didn't come back. And you already saw the last one. And it doesn't differentiate between the last one and and the one that was on last week. It just same, you know, it just ended. Yes. And that's one thing I was I kinda of expected the same thing on the radio, but when I heard that particular program it, it in a way it kinda of surprised me. I mean it was a good ending, but it still kinda of surprised me. episode. All right, let's see this. I thought the internet was supposed to give us everything. Uh-huh. There again, that's part of your sheltered life. <laughs> right. Well, everything on the internet is true, so I don't I don't have to worry about shelter, right? That's right. Well, I'm not having a very good time here. I'm going to have to do a little bit of homework during the week and see what I can come up with on that. You know, I got to thinking um, about mounting horses on the left. Uh-huh. 
and I heard your theory that Ralph or somebody called in and said because at one time everybody wore swords and it was more convenient. Right. But my question is, they were riding horses a lot before a long, many hundreds of years before they had swords or carried swords. Which side did they mount on? I have no idea. Well, I guess sometimes they'll show it on TV and they won't know. When didn't we have swords? Well, I don't know, but I'm sure at some time in life they didn't. But you know, I think even when they were, I don't think they were carried in the same fashion as what we think of usually. Um, I know the Scots and early Irish, you know, a lot of times swords were carried on their back, not on a belt. Number one, because they were so large, and number two, out of the way. I think a lot of them fought in the nude, too, so there was no belt to carry it on. But um, I know the larger swords were carried on their backs, not on a belt. Of course, they weren't riding horses either there. So I really don't know. It was just an idle. Uh, I don't ride horses. I don't, and I don't sit on a mule either, so I've already got demerits. Now I'm, I'm even in worse shape because I don't know about horses. I'm failing the course here. Now you take too, that even the American Indians didn't carry swords. Mm -hmm. They had lances. Nope, but I don't know how they got on horses either. Well, that would be a problem with a lance, wouldn't it? And a lot of the Indian... They had arrows. In India, not as in the western United States. Uh, a lot of them had lances as well. Even uh, the British soldiers... Mm-hmm. Not swords. At least in India, I guess they did other places too. Back in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. It's kind of amazing. But, um... I guess even if you didn't carry a sword, somebody had to standardize it. It's like putting the... the yeah. Putting the steering wheel on one side of the car. You're tempting me so bad here. <laughs> What? You are really tempting me. What? What? But it was probably had their steering wheel on the Right. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> well, somebody standardized it. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, but it just—it was just an idle question. And then at times I have a lot of the weird questions, like the soft and hard cookies and mm -hmm. things of that nature. It just driveway. Mm -hmm. I think of a lot of things that apparently nobody else seems to, and they look at you like, you know, when did you escape? <laughs> Walton and I, when we talked last night, we always touch base on Fridays. And whatever I mentioned, he said at the same time I said, he said, that's right down my alley, and I said, that's right up your alley. And they both mean the same thing. Yeah, it is. 
And then you've, you've got the weird things of driveways and parkways. Mm -hmm. I wonder what the theory ever was back of that one. Well, in the West Coast, we all call them driveways out here. They're all driveways. I suppose that differentiates it from a walkway. Yeah. But then how do you get a park? The guy that thought up the walkway got it right. The guy that thought up the driveway and the parkway had it all backwards. And it was a little backwards, yeah. Yeah. It was. But I don't know, a lot of things like that, just in a way, it, it makes me wonder how it really happened. Were you with us when I asked about Morton's Fork before? No. Have you ever heard of a Morton's Fork? Not right offhand, no. It's from the 1400s, and it belonged to the Archbishop of Canterbury, who was also a chancellor. His name was Morton, and his method for collecting money for the king from the merchants and the, the um, storekeepers. His principle was if they lived an opulent life, if they looked like they had a lot of money, they could surely afford to give the king something. And if they didn't look rich and they lived in humble circumstances and didn't spend a lot of money, then they surely must have saved an awful lot of money and they could afford to give something to the king. Uh-huh. So... It's like a damned if you do and damned if you don't. Yeah, that's kind of like some of the uh, witch trials. Yes, yes, if you sink, uh, if, you're not a witch. <laughs> they, if they drowned, they weren't a witch, and if they right. didn't drown, they were a witch. Uh-huh, and so you had a, a choice of either getting hanged or drowned. Nothing in between, but anyway, that's, that's a Morton's Fork, and there'll be a test next week. Uh-huh. Well, I'd never really heard about that, but it makes a lot of sense. I didn't either. But that's just, there, there, there's an awful lot of logic like that in history that you really wonder what they were thinking. But I think in a lot of cases, those deals were, you know, you're guilty and we're going to prove it mm -hmm. if it kills you. That's right. Um, and it's, it's like, well, I guess I shouldn't say it. But the Knights Templar and the church at the time weren't too picky about who they were killing. And I think one of the questions to one of the popes was that, well, you know, a lot of these people are Christians, but they're being killed anyway. And how do we tell the difference? And the pope's answer was, don't worry about it. God can sort it out. And... You know, it really makes you wonder um, their line of reasoning and that they needed to be where they were. Mm -hmm. But I'm afraid there was an awful lot of, of attitude like that at the time. Mm-hmm. And didn't seem to bother anybody. Nope, except the ones who... I reckon, but didn't seem to bother the people killing them. So I guess everybody was an enemy, and it wasn't your problem to decide. Nope. Just it went in doubt, take them out. Yep. Bad stuff. Bad stuff. Yep, it sure, surely was. Well, I don't have anything else worthwhile. I just thought I'd touch base, and maybe next week I'll have something useful. Well, everything is worthwhile when it comes from you, sir. About that. A, oh, I meant to ask you, Walden. Yes. With Jaws, have you ever had a problem?
Do you know what uh, motorboating is? No, I do not. In relation to sound, I mean, you know, what a, a small engine sounds like. Right. That's sporadic. It's a sound like that. But I've been getting that noise on one computer here for quite some time, mm -hmm. and, and I thought that it might have been Skype causing it or the email causing it, but I would just shut everything down and restart a computer, and that would take care of it for an indefinite period of time, and it would start doing it again. Well, my new computer did it this past week, and that had never happened. And you know, it's got a brand new motherboard in it and a processor and a whole bit. Yeah. I mean, everything is new in it except the uh, floppy drive and the uh, CD drive, I think. Everything else, it was new. Well, I had Skype up, email, and JAWS. Yeah. So I started shutting things down, and I did the email and Skype, and it was still there. So I shut JAWS down, and it quit. So when I brought JAWS back up from the desktop, mm -hmm. it said that, you know, there was a a JAWS update there, so I went on and downloaded it. And so far, I hadn't had more trouble with it. And the one at the house, um, a couple of weeks ago, that's what one thing got me messed up. Um, I shut it down just to get rid of it, yep. restarted it. And that's when, I don't know if it's coming up in safe mode or what it's doing, but it would not restart. And Barbara finally looked it over and between the two of us, we got that shut off and restarted again, and and our you know cleared it and and it started, and I forgot about that. Right. But the thing started making that noise again last night, and that's what I went to this morning, and I went on and downloaded an upgrade for Jaws. Well, you need to restart the computer. Well, when I did it, I got caught again with that um, thing apparently sure. coming up in safe mode or something, and it I was but I just didn't know if you'd run into that noise. I am having terrible problems with JAWS 12. I'm talking to guys who do troubleshooting. Get out of JAWS 12, go back to JAWS 11. There are problems with JAWS 12. What other problems are you having? Uh, spell check is not working. It's not reading attachments. Uh, there, are, there are problems all over with JAWS 12. So I'm, I'm going back to older versions until they can finally troubleshoot JAWS 12. Well, I thought part of it was just me. No, it, it's it's a it's a bad job of programming, and the troubleshooters who uh, who I know um, are trying to are trying to knock it all out. So that's that's what I've done. I'm I've I I got now Jaws twelve, gone back to Jaws eleven, and I had some trouble with with Jaws eleven at one time. Loading it now. It, I'm having some trouble I, there too. So you can you see have an older version. And quit. And then when I did this, um, I didn't realize it has many problems you're telling because I tell yeah. me about because I just I've missed them. Yeah, they're having trouble. So, so that's what I've done. I tossed the guys and say get 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 out of Jaws 12, go back to a version that you're happy with until they can troubleshoot it. Okay, then. Well, I appreciate it. No problem. And I'll be back again and anon or something. <laughs> and and I'll, I'll do my homework, and I'll come up with something really southern for next week. Oh, man. Um, 
Oh, yes. You do know what Whoppy Jawed is, don't you? What? Say what? Whoppy Jawed. Whoppy Jawed? Yeah. W-O-P-P-Y? Yes. No, I don't. I'm a failure. What is it? Well, if you're fitting two parts together and you get one crooked so it doesn't fit properly, uh -huh. that is the definition. Of whoppy job. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm just going to write that. You got one. it in there crooked, in other words. Yeah, I'll, I'll write that one down and keep that one in my diary. Okay. Jeez, you, you just suck. You're, you feel me? My poor head doesn't have any room left. Uh, I don't believe that. <laughs> it's set around in Catterwall. <laughs> that's right. Well, uh, Catterwall, I know. Uh, that's very good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Yes, that, that's very good. I even use that word sometimes. Okay. Would you listen to that Catterwalling out there? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And it's people. I'm not even referring to cats. Yeah, exactly. Well, cats sit around and talk about dog warming. <laughs> Very good. All right. See y'all later. Okay, Arwood. Thanks for calling. Thank Have you. A good week. All right. All right. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. We're up and about. We are up and about. Well. I have an email here in front of me from Stephen. Does yes. say from where? It does say, however, if you have the time to look under Ham's beer commercials on YouTube, Ham's beer used cartoons to sell their beer in the late 1950s. I remember in the early 70s they had the bear. Well, that's what he's talking about. Ah, and I love the music. Mascot was a cartoon bear. Yep. Well, water. The Flintstones sold Winston cigarettes. That's what I've heard. Yep. <sighs> Take nothing sacred. Well, what do you say we play a show? Let's do it, my dear. Let's play a show. All right. Well, I've got my questions for this one as well. Mm -hmm. Let me put my stuff away and get out my next round of stuff. And we've got Hole in One from May 15th. That's the one, right? Today's date. Today's date. Okay. I will ask the questions before we hang up tonight. And whoever is out there hanging with us, if you have an answer, send it to my email. I'll tell you in a minute. Okay. We've got Hole in One from May 15th, 1951. This was before they went to the 15-minute shows, so they are still really hot here. Stibber has bragged for his lifetime with poor Molly that he had a hole-in-one at the Peoria Country Club in, as he puts it, 19-aught-23. Ought means zero, and it's supposed to be like 19-aught-one, ought-two, and when you get to 1910, it's 1910, but he still sticks the ought in there. He was 19-aught-23. <laughs> Molly is his victim. Bless her little heart. He's teaching her how to play golf. And he's teaching her some of the lingo, too. She's dynamite, absolutely dynamite, when they start practicing in the front yard. And then they go off to a golf course to play with Harlow Wilcox and Mayor Latrivia. Mayor Latrivia uses one of my very favorite phrases. You like it when Molly says, oh, dear. Oh, dear. And I like it when Mayor Latrivia looks at something and he has this dead air for a, a second and he says, 
sweet Genevieve. <laughs> when he sees something that really surprises him. Well, he yeah. does a sweet Genevieve when Molly hits the golf ball tonight. So we are going to be playing Hole in One from May 15, 1951, and I have three questions. If you answer one of these questions, I get to send you some radio shows. Now, since we're not going to be back, we're going to say goodnight before this show plays. If you have an answer after the show, you can send the answer to my email at floridawriter at hotmail.com. Florida Writer, W-R-I-T-E-R, Florida Writer at Hotmail.com. What you're going to be listening for in the show, where did Fibber hit his hole-in-one? Question number two, what did Fibber's caddy in Peoria suffer from? And three, how did Molly get her hole-in-one? So three questions. Where did Fibber get his hole-in-one? What did Fibber's caddy in Peoria suffer from? And how did Molly get her hole-in-one when they went out playing in the afternoon? So we are going to be, if Walden has all the buttons, he gets to play the show. We're going to say goodnight, everybody. You have a wonderful week. Be safe. We will be here next week. Here we go with Hole in One from May 15th, 1951. Good night, Walden. Good night, Patricia. The Pet Food Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. A first evaporated note, Pet Milk, presents Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur T. Bryan, Hitler Brand, Bob Bruce, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The show is written by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie and directed by Max Hutto. With music by the Kingsman and Billy Mills Orchestra. Whenever I hear someone say, those two were made for each other, I always think of coffee and pet milk. That's right, coffee and pet milk really are made for each other. Made to blend together perfectly for coffee that's creamy, smooth, mellow, satisfying. Because pet milk is sweet country milk concentrated to double richness by evaporation, it's twice as rich in cream as ordinary milk. Yet, rich as it is, pet milk costs less than half as much as cream. So, you also save money when you use pet milk instead of expensive cream in coffee. Now, if you haven't already joined the millions of coffee lovers who enjoy coffee with pet milk, try it tomorrow. Then you'll know what I mean when I say pet milk and coffee are made for each other. This is the time of year when any man with sporting blood in his veins takes an affectionate look at his golf equipment. And here at 79 Whistle Vista, just coming down from the attic with his bag of golf clubs... <laughs> find Mr. McGee of Fibber McGee and Molly. Oh. McGee, are you hurt, dearie? Are you all right? Did you break anything? Yeah, I cracked my mashie. Good heavens. Don't leave an inch till the doctor gets here. Huh? Does it hurt much? I'll say it does. It cost me $4.95. That's pretty painful. What do you mean? Oh, your mashie. Yeah. What are your golf clubs? Oh, yeah. Yeah, me, me, kiddo. I'm going to miss it. A good mashie can get you out of more trouble than if your brother is the district attorney. <laughs> well, I wouldn't know about that, sweetheart. 
To me, a golf course in the spring is just a dumping ground for six months of stored-up male profanity. <laughs> it's more than that, baby. For a cemetery-type fellow, but he's not very active most of the time, it's a... Not cemetery, McGee. Hmm? It's sedentary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sedentary. Meaning the guy that he's setting down most of the time. <laughs> for a guy like that, which I happen to be one of him, Golf is probably the best form of exercise that he can cook. <laughs> I would tell you about the trolling one I made in Peoria back in 1923. Did you ever tell me? More times than... Okay, I will. <laughs> well, sir, there I was. 185 yards to the green, the wind against me, and my caddy had the hiccups. <laughs> I stepped up to the tee. Look, lover, hmm? you've told me that story so often I can recite it backwards. Oh, no. You want to hear it backwards? No, I... Hiccups? The Habs had him mine, knee huh? against her, and green to the yards 185. <laughs> Up, step that. Okay, okay. Talk if you want to be right. But by George, a hole in one don't happen to everybody. The day I made mine, it was getting so dark, I fell into three sand traps on the way home. Why did you wait till dark to play golf? I had to. It was at the Peoria Country Club, and I wasn't a member. <laughs> Forget that, will you? Good night. Good night, all. The first of operated milk, cut milk, brings you Fibber McGee Mallory's week at this time. Be with us again next Tuesday night, won't you? If you believed you could help a friend and your husband asked you not to interfere, what would you do? Well, that's the problem young wife Sally Carter faces in the dramatic story of the week on Pet Milk's Mary Lou Taylor program next Saturday morning. Be sure to hear this story called Women Talk Too Much. The second big feature of the, on the program is the Pet Milk Recipe of the Week for Apple Bavarian Pie, a dessert that's made a big hit with husbands. So for the story of the week and the recipe of the week, Tune in to NBC next Saturday morning for Pet Milk's Mary Lee Taylor. He Wilson combats crime in big town next over most NBC stations. Good night, everybody. We love you all. Just make your mind up. 
Oh, it's 